0: From the high desert and the great American Southwest, I bid you all
1: good evening or
0: good morning as a case may be across all these great time zones and great geography, from the Tahitian and Hawaiian island chains in the west eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, north all the way to the Pole, and worldwide on the Internet. This is Coast to Coast AM. Good morning. I'm Art Bell. Well, as many of you may or may not know, February 26th, Uh, there is scheduled to be a solar eclipse that peaks at about 9.26 a.m. There is also supposed to be a new moon on that night. My guess would be that that is when we are going to go to war, or within 12 hours on either side of that particular time, Feb 26. So... Well, with that in mind, and with the fact that there was a town meeting in Columbus, Ohio, earlier in the day with Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, Defense Secretary Cohen, and National Security Advisor Sandy Berger, which I got to see uh, because I was home, of course, and awake during those particular hours. And by the way, which is being replayed right now or just concluded, I'm not sure, on CNN. I'll take a look. It was uh, an absolutely remarkable event, totally remarkable. And the, um, the trio was there to answer questions about our apparent plans to go to war and about the whole dispute with Iraq. Now, I've got a couple of comments and then a guest for you on the subject. One, hi Art, have you been watching the replay of today's town meeting in Ohio on CNN? This is Daryl down in L.A. Question, why would any president who comes from a background of anti-war activities himself put his top members in front of any university town meeting at this time? Answer, there is no answer. But it does not take a triple-digit IQ to know that the only campuses that will not get this reaction are the service
2: academies,
0: of course. And then I got this from the Summit Star, some sort of newspaper, I'm not sure where, in uh, Lee Summit, Missouri. No sugar coating in quotes, on town hall meeting, while a bootleg copy, get this, of Wag the Dog, played on Iraqi television, Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, National Security Advisor Sandy Berger, and Secretary uh, Security General uh, William Cohen, National Security Director, took questions from a divided audience on the campus of Ohio State University. With some of the people finding out they would not have the opportunity to speak, they took it upon themselves to be heard The White House staff and CNN did not have as much control as they thought they would. At times, the questioning was tough. If Saddam was watching, he may have gotten the impression that Clinton does not have the backing of the American people, which may cause him not to budge at the bargaining table. Thank you, Vince, in uh, Lee's Summit, Missouri. Uh, Right in the middle of this whole thing that was going on in Columbus, I got a call from Marshall Barnes, a member of the press, who was actually at the event itself, and Marshall said, you can't imagine what's going on. You're not seeing it. During the breaks, there are incredible things going on. People are being dragged out. And I I was actually uh, watching even though the microphones didn't pick up all that was going on in the crowd by a long shot, it was easy to read between the lines, looking at the very tight jaw of Madeleine Albright, which got tighter and tighter and tighter. Even Defense Secretary Cohen was obviously really, really missed. And so I've got somebody who was there today, Marshall Barnes, and in a moment we're going to bring him on, and we're going to let him tell you what really happened at Columbus today. And also, I would like to restrict my East of the Rockies line right now to people in Columbus, Ohio, who were also present at this event. So if that's you, I'll call me now and everybody else kind of hold off and let, uh, let people uh, get through. East of the Rockies, specifically Columbus. At one 800 one 5033 Columbus only. So all of that in a moment. 11 o'clock tonight, Dr. Ronald Klatz will be talking about immortality and cloning. All right. Again, with Columbus, Ohio and the town meeting, I was sitting there. During the whole thing, watching on CNN, shaking my my head, saying, oh, God, this is, you know, this is really getting out of control. You couldn't hear it all the time. Sometimes you could hear it very clearly, but I was saying this is getting really, really out of control. And that's when the phone rang, and there was Marshall Barnes, a journalist, a credentialed journalist there at the event. Here is Marshall Barnes. Marshall, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Where are you, Marshall?
3: Uh, right now, I'm, I'm, in, I'm still in Columbus. Columbus, okay. Uh, well, you called me, oh, I don't know, maybe a little past midway through
0: the thing, and you said, man, this thing is really out of control. What was going on?
3: Well, basically what was going on at that point is that CNN almost lost complete control of the whole show. And this, this, the reason I called you is because I knew that, you, that the rest of America wasn't seeing what was happening because it took place during a commercial break. And then when they rebroadcasted the show this evening, I watched it, and sure enough, uh, plenty of things that ha- happened weren't, weren't being shown on TV because the commercials were being run at that time. But basically, there was about two points during, uh, during the, the show where CNN almost lost complete control over it. I mean, it was uh, – I couldn't believe it. Um, where was it – how was it going
0: wrong, uh, in your opinion? In other words – there were a lot of people shouting and cursing.
3: Well, and well let me set it up for you, cause so you will understand. See, I was there really to cover the, the press conference, and uh, the press conference was just for the media only, and it was to happen before the town meeting. Uh, after the press conference is over. Um, then it was time to go to the, for the media to go to the town meeting, which was a, an arena right next door to the facility that had the press conference, right. And I almost didn't even go. I mean, because we just figured it was going to be one of these typical TV show town meeting kind of things. And they were, and basically, um, you know, the dignitaries are going to just rattle off the same rhetoric we'd already heard a million times before. And, and
0: the and pre was, the pre sell of these things, Marshall, is usually that uh, the questioners are picked out beforehand.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: everybody knows what uh, they're going to be asked and all right. the rest of it. That obviously was not the case.
3: Well, actually, to a certain degree, it was the case. But one of the problems that uh, that, that arose is the fact that a lot of the passes were given out to uh, political science students. I, th- I guess the thinking was that these would be people that could, would ask or be particularly interested in the subject and be fairly astute or whatever, but they forgot that a lot of political science students are pretty cynical about the U.S. government. Yes. And, uh, and particularly with this particular subject matter, I mean, th- it was a total complete miscalculation, not only in who was there, because there's a lot of people that just average people are there too, but even in terms of how they thought it was all going to go down and how, uh, how little control they felt that they needed to have over the, over the program.
0: CNN made a big deal about the fact that they exclusively had it, <laughs> got it, was because they have coverage in over 200 countries, and specifically Saddam Hussein watches CNN. Right. Now, I got a fax earlier that said if Saddam was watching he may have gotten the uh, impression that Clinton does not have the backing of the American people. Would you agree with that?
3: Oh, yeah, sure. I, I mean, he doesn't. I mean, if, if, this, if this event was any indicator, and there probably is, he really doesn't. Because let me explain to you something's happened. Because there's a lot of people who weren't there, like Bill Maher, I'm politically incorrect, who I just saw it tonight talking about there was only 12 protesters. There's like close to 50 people that were actually protesting there. It wasn't just 12 there was a full third of the audience that seemed to be sympathizing with the protesters.
0: Well, you, right? could, you, could, you could gather that just from listening to the applause and the boos.
3: Exactly, exactly. Now, and this is, let me get, to give you an idea of what, was, what the audience was really like. There seemed to be about a third of them that were definitely for the protesters, a third that were kind of ambivalent, and then about another third of the audience that was against the protesters. However, this is where things get really interesting regardless of how the, uh, the political spectrum was, like whether the person was a pacifist or like let's go bomb the heck out of Iraq, the main thing that everyone can to agree upon, and this is where the Clinton administration has a big problem, is that everyone wants to dom out of there. But the Clinton administration does not want to dom out of there. They just want to try to contain him. And you might recall... There was a gentleman there that was a World War II veteran. He was practically in tears. Who said,
0: we better not do this. or we half-assed. going to do it another half-assed way? Exactly.
3: And the thing about it is that is exactly what the, what the three dignitaries were telling the, the audience one year or another, that we're not going to take out Saddam Hussein. We're just going to try to take away his weapon. Well, everyone, from the pacifists to the people who were like, yeah, let's go to war, they were saying, well, that means we'll just have to go back again. That's and right. And so as a result... Regardless of how they expressed themselves, the audience as a whole was against the you know the presentation or the message. They were not satisfied with it, and that's why the Clinton administration has a major problem.
0: Who was providing security for the event? Okay, th-
3: that, that's a good question. There were multiple levels of security from various law enforcement agencies. Uh, there were Secret Service. There were uh, Franklin County Sheriff's uh, deputies. There was the Diplomatic uh, Protection Services, I think it is. Uh, There's also um, Ohio Highway Patrol intelligence people there, and um, there was probably one other one. Oh, Ohio State University police. All right. And, when
0: they went to break, right? Uh, when they, particularly early on, when they were getting a lot of the shouting, uh, what happened? There were some people dragged out of there, weren't
3: there? Okay, no, there were. Yeah, and, and this is part, partially CNN's fault. The one guy who ended up finally getting a chance to speak at the very end. His name is Rick Price. And what happened was, before he was up in line to ask a question, but the CNN were was screening people. If they didn't like the question that you were going to ask, they weren't letting you speak. Uh-huh. So they were trying to censor this thing. This thing was supposed to be a pre-packaged, um, you know, a product, the spoon feed to the American public. Okay, basically using the audience in Columbus as the people they were trying to feed. Okay, but basically what was happening was because of the way it was handled, I mean, it was basically like a baby spitting the food right back in his face. Uh, and what happened with the Rick Tide situation is that he wasn't allowed to speak. He's going, why can't I talk? And at first they thought he thought he was going to be able to talk, then he shut off his mic, and then a big argument ensued, and Bernard Shaw came over and got in his face even, and then he ended up getting dragged out by an Ohio Highway Patrol Intelligence guy and some of the Secret Service and some of the other people. And he wasn't arrested, though. he was taken out into the, um, into the lobby. At there, uh, were, uh, at that point were a whole issue police and, uh, some other security kind of people. They were just watching and making sure things didn't get out of hand So a big argument ensued between Rick Tice and a producer from CNN. And he said, look, this woman said I can't speak and I was in line to talk at the microphone. So the guy from CNN basically said, alright, well, we'll let you get back in there again and you will have a chance to speak. Well, the whole rest of the program went by, and they were going to try to keep him from speaking again until he finally got to say something at the very end. So that was that was who got dragged out. There's another guy who actually got arrested. And by the way, let me add, they, they got
0: him outside after the event. I don't know whether you saw that or not. Yeah, oh, yeah. And they asked him what it was that uh, he wanted to drive home, and it was that we are, um, that it's a, it's a color issue, that we are attacking People of color, and if they were our color, we wouldn't be attacking them, and that was the message he wanted to drive home. Well,
3: that's, that's different from what he said in, in the lobby, because I actually, we, myself, and other people from major media were asked talking to him. He said that at that point, the major thing he wanted to get across was that, you know, he's not trying to send to Dom, but it, by going over there and bombing these people, we're not hurting him. We're just hurting the people, right. and unless we get rid of Saddam, it's not going to mean anything. We just keep going back over and over and over again, and the people who are paying the price of the Iraqi people. That's what he was saying then.
0: And so you, you have the definite impression that not by a long shot do, um, does this administration have the backing of the American people to go to war.
3: Well, this is, this is how I want to couch this, okay? It's because of the end result. In other words, the people that even say we should bomb Iraq, they they want it to be over with, you know. Our, they they want? In other words, they don't want to just blow up all this stuff and then have to, be like, you know, a year or so later, go back and do it again and do it again because they know that that's what they're going to have to do. The Secretary of uh, Defense, William Cohen, supposedly said that's all we're trying to do is contain him. Mm. And and Madeline Albright said the same thing. Right. Danny Berger said the same thing. And it's like people are sick of this. I mean, that whole audience was sick of it. There was a guy, in fact, Sini, uh, not Sini Berger, but um, uh, Secretary of Defense William Cohen, said that he didn't want to do a ground war thing to get Saddam um, Hussein out of there because that's there caused right. too many uh, casualties among the armed services. And well, money. Huh? And money. Right. Well, not only that, is that but, but this is the deal. They got a phone call from Mannheim, Germany, and it was a soldier over there who said, look, if that's what it takes to just get rid of this guy, I'll be the first one to die for it. I mean, and that, that was Let was me tell you to.
0: something, uh, Marshall. Right. I'm one of those people. Um, I, uh, my, my little tour was in Vietnam, thank you. Right. And that bastard Johnson choreographed that war in anguishing, murderous detail right. from the White House. And I am of the view that if you're going to have a war, which is one issue, if you're going to go to war, then by God, go to war, get the job done and
1: get the hell out, he uh, and, and, and have, a, have a
0: real victory. Don't just try to suppress somebody
3: exactly. because
0: you really want to keep him around, because you really need him around uh, to keep some sort of stability in the region or because you don't want his country to dissolve into um, uh, a civil war.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I, too, am one of those people. And it seems to me, Marshall, what we had in Columbus, instead of the usual choreographed B.S., was we actually had a rude, albeit rude, but real town meeting. What do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. You agree with that? Absolutely. All right. Hold on, Marshall. Okay. We'll be right back. We're at the bottom of the hour. From the high desert, this is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell, and we'll be right back.
5: coast-to-coast a.m. with Art Bell now here again is Art
0: once again here I am good morning everybody great to be here we are discussing what occurred in Columbus Ohio earlier today it was a remarkable remarkable event in many senses for example it was real it was disruptive it was democracy in action or it was a rude interruption of cabinet-level officials, depending on your point of view. Again, I am holding my East of the Rockies line open. For anybody in Columbus, Ohio, who attended this event today, who would like to comment, that number is 1-800-825-5033. Everybody else, please refrain. We have a journalist, Marshall Barnes, who was there for the event and is telling us what what, you know, went on during the breaks. All right, now back to Marshall Barnes in Columbus, Ohio, where they had this absolutely remarkable town meeting, which, by the way, is being replayed as we speak on CNN. Uh, It is being uh, replayed right now, and it was in every way uh, remarkable. Marshall, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Um, Again, if you can give us some idea... For example, during during, it was bad enough uh, when they had the cameras and mics rolling, but during the breaks, we, of course, did not get to see uh, what occurred. And I I would have imagined that the participants themselves or the CNN anchor or somebody or another would have tried to get control of the crowd. Um, So during those breaks, what was going
4: on?
3: Well, basically, what happened was this: <clears throat> the, um, when the when the whole thing got started, it kind of got started on a shaky level anyway. Because um, before the show went on, they had problems with some of the sound system and stuff like that. And you know, I was with a bunch of reporters, from like the Associated Press, New York Times, uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer. I mean, seasoned people. We're just all kind of sitting around, thinking like, okay, are they going to get the show on the road here or what? And but we weren't expecting anything unique. Then once they started to get the show on the road. Then the protesting, some of the protesting started, and they were having problems with uh, some of the people. There was, there was some confusion going on. And um, as, as the thing went along, it started to get a little bit worse. And then, that's when I was talking about the, uh, the guy that got, ended up getting taken out, and then they brought him back in. That was Rick Price. Um, what happened during that break is literally they almost lost control of the whole show. In fact, Bernard Shaw came out and he said, look, this show is 90 minutes and we're not going to, or it's going to stay 90 minutes, we're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to shut the show down. I mean, he actually had to, you know, Bernard Shaw actually had to come out and say that himself. He was getting really angry. Sometimes uh, during, when the, later on in the program, when they, they went back to him, you could kind of see his face it was tense. Mm. Um, but they, oh, I mean, I was remarking to a reporter from the Akron Beacon Journal, I said, oh my God, they might just lose this whole thing. I mean, it was at that point. That, um, I'd say at the second commercial break that they did, we actually, we were wondering whether or not they would be able to continue it. What and were you,
0: what were you thinking was going to happen?
3: Okay, this is what we thought was going to happen. An, in other words, how out of control could it Another, okay, here's what I think happened. The security was not prepared for an unruly audience at all. They just thought it was going to be your average typical thing, and all they have to look for is maybe the possibility of somebody trying to do something crazy. You know, like the secret service tries to protect against that all the time anyway. Sure. So this regular security stuff. Instead, what ended up happening is was the with the way that people were getting upset with the CNN personnel and things like this, they almost got to a position where instead of like maybe one or two people they have to worry about, they almost had a riot on their hand. I mean, it was, it was like that because it, it, I, I was watching security people because, I'm an investigator too and I do things with law enforcement and I always I always look at the big picture at the events like this. And they started moving as the show went further, they started moving uh security people to different parts of the auditorium to try to individually get some of the people that were like, you know, heckling and things like that. But they were being very careful about how they went about doing it because I mean it could have turned into something that they were just totally lost the whole thing.
0: I was watching Albright and Cohen very closely, and both of them had very tight jaws, and they looked, you know, I don't want to say worried. I'm not sure if they were angry,
3: uh, if they were. Albright was definitely angry. She was angry? Absolutely. No question about it. Because they were hitting her with really tough questions. And see, Cohen, if funny about it was Cohen had gotten hit with, a, with an, really a question from out of nowhere. Uh, by me at the press conference before the thing happened in the first What time. did you ask him? Uh, it was great. You would have loved it because it had to deal with remote viewing and side tech and all that stuff.
1: And, <laughs> uh, in fact, I'll, just, I'll, read, I'll read
3: the question because that's, that's my reason for going there was to ask him this question. The question I asked him was, and this is verbatim, it says, uh, Mr. Secretary, since Saddam could have since moved his weapons, and in view of your support of military remote viewing at Fort Meade when you were a, Senator from May in 1988. Right. Do you plan to have the remote-viewing firm, SITEC, which located Iraqi weapon depots for the UN in 1991, who were paying for this operation, and if no, why not? And he was like, where is this coming from? I mean, and it was really funny. In fact, I had reporters come up to me afterwards say, wow, that was a really great question because it, it was something from out of the past that he wasn't even expecting. But did, it was he, did he, make, it, or did or he
0: make any attempt to answer Oh, it?
3: absolutely. He answered it. What did he say? It, you know, basically, what he said was that, to paraphrase it, was that he said that they have capabilities right now to monitor what Saddam Hussein's doing, and those are sufficient for not, uh, at, this, at this time. Mm-hmm. So basically, it was kind of like saying, no, we're not going to use Sidechat to to do any remote viewing. But he didn't come out and say, no, we're not going to do it. But that was basically where he was coming from. But it was a fun, he had this expression on his face like, oh my god, what, who the hell is this guy? But it was, it was pretty funny, so that's what I came to do. I knew it was going to be a press conference with just the media. I was there for that. And then I almost didn't even get bothered going to the town meeting because we thought it was just going to be like, you know, one of those things on Nightline. I mean, everyone did. The entire, was, this is really, it's really important, is that the initial, um, the people that were actually there from the media, whether it was local, regional, or national, were totally blown away. Everyone was taken by surprise by what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I was interested in seeing what spin they were going to put on it. And they really, the spin... Um, by by the, the way,
0: did you see it? I, I saw, of course, CNN went back to their anchors right. after the event, mm-hmm. and they were very, very defensive about the whole thing.
3: Oh, yeah, because they were shaken up. They didn't know what, what spin to put on it at that moment because they were still in shock.
0: And then they had to also deal with questions about the other media networks that were excluded from the event, uh, and they had to note that a lot of them were very angry.
3: Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, what happened was the media quickly started to end, I mean, I was with people, and they were writing their headlines. In fact, uh, the, one woman from a college newspaper said, Jerry Springer couldn't have done a better show. And, and in fact, the, <laughs> CN, the <laughs> CNN producer who dealt with Rick Tide and said well, he could get back into the into the auditorium? Oh,
0: by the way, you and I were talking about different people. Uh huh. Um, I was talking about um, um, a darker man. Um, in fact, I oh, okay, believe yeah. a, a black man who was interviewed by CNN after the event. Oh uh, okay,
3: yeah, there was no black guy that was taken out of the auditorium by force. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. So we were talking about different people. Right.
3: Okay. Yeah. But the 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 um, the um, the CNN producer. I had uh, dealt with Rick Price uh, and, and let him go back into the uh, auditorium after the show was over. Was he said, "Well, it's daytime TV, you know, and this, you know that's ah. what happens." And, you know, but he—they w- were all in shock. Well, they were completely in shock. What
0: would you imagine the reaction in Baghdad to be? What would you—what well, I mean, would sure. you imagine the reaction well, in Washington? I'm
3: sure loved it. I mean, it, I'm sure he loved it. But see, the thing that he has to realize is this. Jesse because there was a bunch of protests, and, and some people were saying we shouldn't go to war and all that kind of stuff over this thing. He's got to realize this, is that the majority of the people in that auditorium pretty much want him dead. In other words, right. the CIA said, look, we're going to do a wet operation. Where we're going to have some guys go in there in the middle of the night, and we're going to rig his vehicle so that when he you know, goes, goes uh, for a drive the next time, the axles go out and he wrecks and gets killed or something. Sure. And everyone said, Cool. You know, the main reason why people, there was a difference in there, it was because of the fact that the pacifists don't want to have all these, the, the bombing happens because they're saying all these innocent civilians are going to get killed. And on the other end of the scale, there are people who feel like we've got to do something to them, but they're unsatisfied because they know they're going to have to do it again and they don't want to. So everyone, although they have different views of the problem, they all agree what the problem is. The problem is Saddam Hussein's there. Well, the it's other problem shit, is, of course, that so Saddam
0: Hussein does not understand democracy.
3: Oh, that's right. And he, well, he, he, he never will. He doesn't care. And the thing is, we're going to have to go back. Even though, uh, Sandy Berger and William Cohen try to make it sound like, you know, that by doing this particular attack, we could rest easy. They, at different times, they let it slip that we might have to give back again just to just try to destroy his weapons, and people were sick of that.
0: Did you, did you get the impression that on the several occasions that uh, the National Security Advisor, Sandy Berger, got right. to speak, that Madeline Albright and William Cohen were, how can I put this, um, concerned about his delivery?
3: No, I don't think so because, no, I didn't pick that up at all. If, if they looked like they were concerned about anything, it's just the fact that, if, if, for example, even the people that look like conservative and like normal average people, okay, that they they hope would have been there, they were asked and pointed questions. I mean, this one girl stood up and goes, well, you know, what's going to stop him from rebuilding his arsenal over again? I mean, you know, everyone, that's what I was saying, regardless of how you're going to hear other media, particularly media that weren't even there, like Bill Maher from Politically Incorrect, spin this thing, the bottom line is that they had no real support for the, their ultimate program, which was basically just to maintain control over the situation and not take out the uh,
0: Yeah, to bat them down and have to go back again, uh, right. our sons or our grandsons, to do it again.
3: Right. They, there, was, there was no support for that at all. In fact, uh, the, the people were fed up with it. And that's why I think that the, the, the heckling was even tolerated as long as it was by other members of the audience. Um I mean, it was it was a rough crowd all the all the way around. Whether the people were being rude or not, because the questions were all rough. There was no one saying, "Yeah, we think this is exactly what we need to do, and this is the way to do it." No one felt that way at all.
0: How how really rude was it? If you were to divide it up, how what percentage of people were actually being rude versus those who were trying to ask uh, some sort of albeit tough but was, legitimate question?
2: There
3: was probably. Oh, I mean, you, there's probably about 20 some odd to 30 some odd people that were actually being rude from time to time in terms of protest.
6: Uh,
3: sometimes it might have gone up to as many as 50, but, you know, that was about it. The, um but the rest of it was, you know, you could tell by, when someone made a comment about like, you know, why can't we just stop them or this isn't going to fix anything, so, you know, we need to think of, come up with another answer, the applause was there. I mean, like, you know, the, the, regardless of whether people were being rude or not, it wasn't selling. What they were trying to tell the, uh, the American people there at that meeting, it, it was getting rejected.
0: All right. Uh, Marshall, I asked you what uh, you thought the reaction in Baghdad would be now. What do you think the reaction is like and the talk is like and the discussion is like and reaction is like in the White House this morning?
3: Well, I think Clinton's like, well, in fact, I've already heard from um, uh this guy named Wolf something from uh from CNN because he he's actually in Washington D.C. Would that be Wolf Blitzer? Yeah, they, they, that's it. Wolf Blitzer. He said that the the word there is that obviously it backfired and they're trying to figure out how to fix it. And uh, I imagine that what might happen since they're going to do other I guess they're going to do other town meetings, there's going to be a lot of effort in advance to try to like be nicer and try to show Columbus up and make us look like, you know, make the Columbus situation look like it was just a bunch of rowdy people and blah, 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 blah. Well, it's but, a heart,
0: it was a heartland.
3: Uh, I know, but see that, that's the thing. It was a heartland. So uh, there's going to be a lot of distortion. In other words, right now, as of this moment, what's, what a lot of the material that's come out in terms of news reports is pretty true and on target. After this, the spin control is definitely going to go in and they're going to start distorting the whole issue, like Bill Maher was doing, like saying it was only 12 people. It wasn't only 12 people. I mean, the, you're talking about a big auditorium. You know, it's 360 degrees around in terms of the audience. So you, you never saw all of who was doing what, particularly because a lot of times they weren't showing, uh, doing close-ups of those people on the camera. So you, you would have a, a shot where they would see what was going on in the platform, but there would be people behind the camera doing things, mm-hmm. people Beyond the camera view to the left, doing things, they never, they never did see what was going on unless they were actually there. So what we saw
0: on TV and what you saw in person
3: it was It was it was totally different. It totally was, different. Yeah, and that what you saw on TV was probably about twenty to thirty percent of what it was really like. I mean, that's basically what. Is well, it must have been—it
0: must have been pretty wild for you to uh, pick up a cellular, I presume, uh, or whatever, and call me right in the middle of the event.
3: I thought that when I called you, Art, I thought that they were going to lose control of the whole thing. I thought they were going to lose it, and I knew that we were on a commercial break at the time because there was a live monitor set up, and I could see it from where I was sitting. And I was sitting up above, so I, was, I kept, um, not all the way at the top, but I was up pretty high. And so I could get a good view of everything that was going on all around the auditorium. And, and one of the things I saw was this monitor. And when things really start going crazy, that's when we were on a commercial break. And I said, man, I've got to get a hold of Art Bell. Because I know you, I knew you were, you'd been talking about this kind of thing for a while. and." You know, I knew this. what was happening at that moment wasn't on the air. Uh,
0: Marshall, uh, since you're so involved with this, let me ask you sure. a, a speculative question. Uh, the Secretary General of the UN, as you know, is sort of making this last-ditch mission to Baghdad to talk mm-hmm. to Saddam. Uh, is it your impression that this is just going through the motions and we're going to war, or do you think there is a very real possibility that he'll come back with some kind of solution?
3: There may be... You may come back with some kind of solution. Madeleine Albright though and um the, and Sandy Berger we kept hinting at it's got to be oh, practically everything we want though. But this is one thing I will remind you is that before I remember early in the Clinton administration where it looked like we were gonna go to war against Korea and we looked like we were gonna go to war against Haiti, although we did invade Haiti but it was like it wasn't really a war. I mean we just kinda went in there. But and then but but at the but at the last minute People came in and kind of like paid, you know, cooled things out and we didn't really do that. And so this may be one of the situations where maybe the UN, uh, Secretary General can actually accomplish something, maybe. But see, I don't know, after what happened on Columbus today, Saddam may just laugh at the whole thing. So, and just kind of like blow him off. You're calling know.
0: it, you're calling it Columbus Day?
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, I just said, I said, after what happened in Colombia, oh today. I see, I, I've got you. Okay. Yeah. Well, after, after what happened in Colombia today, Saddam may just kind of blow off the UN Secretary General, and you know, and feel, feel like he doesn't really have to worry about it. But what he should realize is that, you know, Clinton's gonna if Clinton really wants to go ahead and do this and attack Iraq, he'll do it. But I'll, I'll tell you something else. A lot of people were afraid of what might happen um, if he did do it in terms of. Uh, other kinds of things that might go into act, go into uh, uh, go into action, like a chain reaction kind of a thing, uh, in response to that, like counter you know, terrorism attacks against the United States. Yes. Uh, would any other countries maybe come to Don's aid? You know those kind of things. And so, you know, there was a lot of questions about how good of an alliance or coalition do we have this time? because there's a lot of reports that none of, the, none of the countries over there near Iraq want us to do it. Even Qatar has turned us down. Right, you know, and people were bringing these kind of issues. So, I mean, all of it was like, you know, there were people concerned uh, on, on, all, on all different points of this particular issue, so that there wasn't any kind of a, um, you know, there was, they had no group that was definitely for them. Even the people that said, well, if we have to do it, let's do it, had concerns and problems with what the plan was.
4: Then the
0: American people tonight should be aware Marshall that what they saw on TV was far from the whole story.
3: Absolutely.
0: And that um, the American people on this issue uh, with the exception of if we're going to do it let's really do it are utterly divided.
3: I'll tell you one side of the thing that added to this, this whole feeling is the ABC special on, on um, what the CIA was doing to try to get rid of Saddam. And when it showed that they didn't support the democratic opposition against Saddam, and instead were trying to do a military coup to get rid of Saddam, and it failed, and and they let the democratic opposition over there uh, get wiped out by the Iraqi army, yep. that was like, you know, I mean, again, see, it's like they, most people just want to get rid of Saddam, and they don't, so they don't have to do all this other I stuff. I know, Marshall. He, we're out. Listen, we're out of okay, time. Sir. We're out of time, so uh,
0: thank you for the inside view, my friend. No problem. You take care. That's Marshall Barnes in Columbus, Ohio. This is Coast to Coast
1: AM.
7: to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Listeners west of the Rockies can call Art toll-free by dialing 1-800-618-8255. If you're east of the Rockies, the toll-free number is 800-825-5033. If you've never called Art before, you may use the first-time caller line at area code 702-727-1222. And the wild card line is area code 702 When you get through, let it ring, and Art will answer your call in order on the air. This is the CBC Radio Network.
5: The Kingdom of Nye, this is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. First-time callers may reach Art at area code 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222. Now, here again is Art. Well, good morning.
0: We spent the last hour with Marshall Barnes, who was a journalist at the Town Hall Ruckus in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we've got the real story of what really went on
1: there. How
0: would you like to live forever? Hmm? Is time a factor? How about being young forever? We're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss cloning and much more with Dr. Ronald Kratz. coming up in a moment. Dr. Ronald Klatz is recognized as the leading authority on the science of anti-aging medicine. Now, that's a pretty heavy statement, recognized as the leading authority in the science of anti-aging medicine. He is founder and president of the nonprofit public foundation, American Longevity Research Institute. He has pioneered the exploration of new therapies for the treatment and prevention of aging-related degenerative disease. In his capacity as the president of the Scientific Medical Society, American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, Dr. Klatz has the latest in the advances in biotechnology, preventative health care, as well as overseeing medical education programs for more than 1,500 physicians and scientists from 37 countries. Recipient of numerous awards and achievements, such as the Index Humanitarian Award, his research has advanced the cause of preventative health care throughout the world, and as an advisor to several members of the U.S. Congress and other players on Capitol Hill, he is looked to for answers to the rising cost of health care in America. So he is very well qualified uh, to speak on the subject of aging and a possible immortality. Here is Dr. Klatz. Doctor, welcome to the program.
8: It's my great pleasure to be on your show, Art. Um, You're very well respected in many different circles, including uh, including some scientific ones as well. Well,
0: thank you. Uh, Where are you located, Doctor?
8: Well, I'm uh, with the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine right now. I'm at their headquarters in uh, Chicago, Illinois. All right. Um,
0: I heard... Somebody, I think, uh, wrote to me about you, and they said uh, that Dr. Klatz believes that if you can stay alive for the next 30 years, make it 30 years, that there is some great possibility that we
8: may stop the clock at about that point. Any truth to that? Uh, There's there's a great deal of truth to that statement, Art. Uh, The technologies that are under development right now by uh, biomedical technology companies uh, in the United States and around the world are bearing unbelievably uh, exciting fruits, Um, technologies that uh, literally will allow us to reset the very uh, genetic um, programming within the cells itself, and uh, by doing such, we will be able to eliminate most, if not all, the degenerative diseases of aging uh, that we have come to expect as normal epi- as normal consequences of the aging process.
0: I recently read a book called The Miracle Strain. I don't know whether you've uh, had a chance to read that or not. I don't but, know, no, I haven't. Uh, basically, it suggested uh, uh, it was a work of fiction, but it looked at those people that have had spontaneous remissions with cancer, with AIDS, with other uh, otherwise normally fatal diseases, and looked to the genetic uh, a reason why uh, these spontaneous remissions would occur. Uh, and actually, it went pretty far out on a fictional limb and talked about the genetic structure of Jesus, who was said to be able to perform miracles and heal. And it all came together in the end. But basically, it was all centered around genetics and little switches that turn on and off, and I'm not certain that I understand the whole thing very well, but
8: is that basically where the answer lies? Well, that's part of the answer. There's a uh, project going on right now that's very heavily funded uh, by both the U.S. government and by uh, uh, the pharmaceutical industry called the Human Genome Project, and what they're doing is they're actually mapping out uh, all the on and off switches of all the genes in the human body and they're ahead of uh, schedule. They were supposed to be done by 2005. looks like they're going to be done uh, probably by 2000, 2001. Mm. And uh, what that is is it's very exciting. We're talking about actually having a roadmap of which genes in the body control which processes, which diseases are, uh, are uh, you know, controlled uh, where, and uh, how not only to detect diseases very early on, I mean, as much as 15 years before they're ever clinically apparent, Mm. but being able to uh, create new drug therapies and new genetic therapies that will uh, cure uh, virtually almost every degenerative disease that that mankind uh, is heir to at this time. And so the technologies behind this, from both genetic engineering, uh, from hormone replacement therapy, from antioxidant supplementation, these things are very, very exciting technologies because in the laboratory, what it's allowing us to do is uh, take laboratory animals and give them an extra 50%, 75%, 100%, 200%, and in some cases as much as 500% longer lifespan. God, We We're doing that now? We're doing it right now.
0: Uh, and how much, uh, at the end, when the human genome is completely mapped, how much of life extension – at that point, uh, when, when we can act on it, would you ascribe to genetics versus other other environmental factors?
8: Well, let me let me. Is there a way I guess to... at that? <laughs> sure, I'm happy to. But let me answer it a different way, if I could. You know, if you lead a clean life and you exercise regularly and you eat right and you have a good attitude about the world and uh, you know you drive a big car and you you know you're you're nice to your neighbor and you have a dog and all those kind of good things, yes. you can expect to live a healthful lifespan of about 75 to 85 years. Right. If you add on top of that optimum antioxidant protection, which goes beyond just eating right but taking the right vitamins and nutrients, uh, you can possibly add on another 10 years. So you might make it to about 95 years of age and, in good shape. If you add on top of that hormone replacement therapy, which you've heard in the news about DHEA and melatonin, human growth hormone, estrogen, testosterone, you may be able to make it to about 120. Hmm. Now, that's probably the limit of uh, or the maximum human lifespan that is available to most of us. All right.
0: what, what, What about, for example, the lady who recently died... At 118 or 120, I can't recall.
8: Uh, Jean Calmet in France. She was 122. Thank you. And she had quit smoking about a year earlier, I believe. That's right. She was a regular smoker and she was eating chocolates and she drank cognac, uh, on a daily basis. And, uh, so I guess she, there's a lot of, uh, that, that kind of goes to uh, Woody Allen and Sleeper, you know, that the uh, secret to long life is, uh, tobacco and, uh, uh and chocolate.
0: Well, it does at least raise a reasonable question that I would love you to try to answer, and that is, how come?
8: Well, she had excellent genetics. She was very lucky, and she had a great attitude, and uh, we don't know why else. But my point is that people can live to be 120 with just what God gives them. When we add on top of that the wonders of modern technology, life expectancy may be unlimited.
0: So in 30 years, by 2000, 2001, we will have our genes mapped. When will we be able to, uh, in a practical sense, begin to utilize the information that we have gathered?
8: Probably another 10 to 15 years after that time, by, say, 2000, 2010, 2015, 2020, at the very latest, mm-hmm. we will have uh, reliable methods to actually reset our genetic genetic endowment. There are the very beginnings of this technology, these gene therapies available today, and they're being used experimentally in people who have um, uh, diabetes and uh, muscular dystrophy and some other genetic diseases. But uh, the tools to actually go in and reset the genes specifically to optimize your metabolism, uh, those technologies are uh, probably about 20 years out. Okay. maybe a little bit less you know uh, uh, I'm always uh, you know I say things that sound pretty extreme but in my history I was the former uh, medical editor of Longevity Magazine I don't know if you remember that or not I do that was a very popular uh, national magazine you know I, I, I've been making uh, predictions for the last uh, 10 years or so and uh, I'm always amazed at myself my wildest predictions turn out to be conservative in, uh, with the benefit of hindsight alright
0: well I like much of my audience I'm 52 now will be 53 in June and in 20 years I'll just be getting ready to retire. What do I have to look forward to in terms of what genetic therapy could do for me at the autumn of life?
8: Well you're you're 52 now. Let's say it takes another 20 years for these technologies to become full blown. Mm. You'll be 72. Now, if you take good care of yourself, you could be a great 72. I mean, you could be running marathons if you really set your mind to it. But let's assume that you can make it to 72 and you're intact. You don't have a, you know, a horrible, uh, degenerative disease. You don't right. have, uh, you know, a, a heart that's ready to fall apart. Your brain is still, you know, mostly intact. Uh, then we're talking about at age 72 being able to uh, certainly, slow the aging process dramatically, though I believe that can be accomplished today and i 'll talk about that in a little bit All right uh, but uh, certainly be able to slow the aging process dramatically and probably uh, almost certainly be able to turn back the clock, being able to take you from a seventy two year old right on back to a, a, a healthy and vital and athletic fifty year old wow. a forty five year old
0: Wow, really.
8: Yeah, so it's worth living. I mean, the future is really a pretty exciting time, and this is not science fiction we're talking about either. I'm talking how, about hard how, scientific facts.
0: How would that manifest itself? In other words, I, I'm trying to close my eyes and imagine me at 72, which I can. I can project my wrinkles.
8: Well, then just open your eyes and look in the mirror, and you're back to where you are now. So, in other words... you a little bit better shape than you are now. Uh, r- really? What, what medically could accomplish that possibly? I mean, what,
0: what can you imagine that would be done that would do that?
8: Okay, well, let's look at YUH in the first place. Okay. Uh, there, 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 are many, there, there are several mechanisms involved, but one of the major mechanisms involved in YUH is that the hormonal messages that tell your cell what speed to be at, that control kind of the thermostat within your cell. Yes, sir. These are hormonal in nature. These are controlled by things such as thyroid hormone, By insulin, by uh, human growth hormone, by testosterone, uh, you know, even though, you know, men do thrive on testosterone, there's still some estrogen (laughs) that affects the cells. I mean, there's a whole symphony of hormones that are secreted by the endocrine system and also from the brain that basically are the pacemakers of youth. And the difference between a young person and an old person, by and large, not completely, but to a large extent, is the amount of these hormones that are in circulation as well as the receptivity of the cells to these hormones, how many cell receptors there are, how sensitive the cells are to these hormones. And so a very interesting thing is going on in anti-aging medicine right now today. It's called hormone replacement therapy. And what we're doing is we're taking these hormones of youth and giving them to older people, and an incredible thing happens. Older people start acting, start feeling start performing at a younger level. Mm. They start looking younger, feeling younger, performing at a much younger level. Wrinkles disappear. People's uh, energy levels increase. Uh, They start losing body fat effortlessly. They start gaining lean body uh, muscle mass and bone mass effortlessly. Okay, Okay, this implies a
0: cellular change. Now, I always understood that at some point, uh, maybe you can tell me what it is as as we uh from the moment we are born at some point more cells begin to die than are regenerated is that correct
8: that's true that's about um well it depends on the organ system uh your brain stops growing uh you know your your nervous system stops growing uh early in life uh and uh you're, you you stop producing new muscle tissue uh as you get um you know, new muscle cells anyway uh, very early in life. But basically you're in a state of catabolism by about age 25 from a metabolic point of view.
0: So from 25 on, it's pretty much downhill. That's correct. Without intervention.
8: That's right. However, with growth factors that we're talking about, these hormonal growth factors, you can pretty much flatten out the curve.
0: Flatten it out. Um one thing that we have not done much with, nor do we seem to understand very well, is cancer. Cancer is the out-of-control cellular growth uh, that, that occurs at various places in the body. Is that a fair
8: statement? Yes, it is. It's a, it's a runaway growth of cells within the body. These cells uh, lose their capacity to communicate with one another uh, and to moderate their their growth cycles, and they just grow out of control until they choke off the other cells. Eventually, uh, they end up killing the organism that they live in because they're just, you know, they're they're drawing away too much of the nutrients and too much of the blood supply. Too many other things are going on. But is
0: it not possible to speculate that as we get close to an understanding and or cure of cancer, we approach also immortality?
8: Well, it's interesting you mention that because that is a very fertile area of research right now in anti-aging because certainly cancer cells are immortal. They don't know when to stop. Exactly. And they go on forever. And so it's the cellular control mechanisms involved in cancer that are uh, very exciting areas for those of us in anti-aging medicine to study so that we can learn how to turn on and turn off uh, the different... Uh, cells of our body and perhaps regrow new brain tissue, regrow new muscle tissue, uh, regrow new organs, uh, and also uh, how to interrupt the process of cancer, how to turn off that cell, uh, that runaway cell division.
0: Uh, Or uh, better yet, just simply control uh, and target uh, the uh, cellular reproduction.
8: That's absolutely correct.
0: Um, so that would be it. If we if we could do that,
8: uh, we would then be immortal. What
0: about, you're, you're
8: a physician, you're a scientist. Well, that's also one of the reasons why I, I, I write in, uh, well, I, I, I have several books out, but I, I write in my books that uh, we expect to have cancer uh, essentially controlled within the next 15 to 20 years because we're now looking at new drugs that do just that, that are able to, to reach in and control the cellular mechanisms of of cancer, and actually, you know, put turn on the brakes, so to speak, uh, with these uh, cancerous growths, and uh, these are uh, controlling compounds and controlling chemicals uh, for the cells of the body. So we are looking forward to a, a much brighter future in the cancer picture in the very near future.
0: Doctor, what is your opinion of hydrazine sulfate um, as a control for cancer in terminal stages? Um,
8: well. Dr. Gold is a, a very interesting fellow, and he has, uh, you know, brought forth a hydrazine, sulf- hydrazine sulfate from uh, research in the Soviet Union. And uh, it's, um, it's very interesting that this compound uh, has a beneficial effect, or at least a reported beneficial effect, in people with cancer. Apparently, uh, it um, inhibits the cachexia, or the, right. the nausea and the the, the the lack of appetite that is seen in cancer patients. Most cancer patients don't die from their cancer. <laughs> they, they waste die. away. Exactly. They just waste away. They die of malnutrition. And uh, insofar as hydrazine sulfate is able to uh, kind of get around that, that problem, these people are able to maintain their nutritional balance and give themselves a fighting chance or give their immune systems a fighting chance because many of the people who have had these remissions from cancer have come back from the later stages of cancer mm-hmm. because the body... Cancer is a very tricky item, and cancers are able to mask themselves from the immune system of our bodies. That's how they're able to grow unfettered. And it's sometimes in the latest stages of cancer when cancer suddenly, uh, the immune systems kick in and are able to start fighting the cancer effectively, So anything that improves nutrition for cancer patients is really uh, a positive positive effect. All right,
0: Doctor. Hold tight right there. We're at the bottom of the hour, which is where we must break clockwise. And we'll be right back. My guest is Dr. Ronald Klass, who says, Hey out there, if you can hang on another 30 years, you just might be around forever. Immortality. This is Coast to Coast AM.
5: On the wild card line at area code 702 727 1295. That's area code 702 727 1295. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. All right, uh,
0: back now to Dr. Klatz. Doctor, I don't want to uh, uh, bore in and stay on the subject, uh, but with regard to hydrazine sulfate. Do you think, uh, as you know, Bob Guccione uh, from Penthouse, I've had him on the air several times, uh, along, I might add, with Dr. Gold, make claims that uh, would seem to suggest that hydrazine sulfate can do a lot more than just prevent wasting, though that is the main claim, but that it can actually cause remission, or would, it, would you think that the effect of the hydrazine sulfate would uh, simply be to strengthen the immune system, causing spontaneous remission in some cases, or what?
8: Well, you know, it's very hard to know. The science is, um, you know, the science isn't all there. There's a lot of controversy regarding this issue. Uh, there are claims uh, made by Dr. Golden and, and, and Bob Guccione that the uh, National Cancer Institute has been suppressing information uh, that the studies that were done, that were sponsored by the NCI, were flawed. Precisely. Would you agree with that? I don't know. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing, though, is that in 25 years of the war on cancer. Uh, we've made a pitiful little, uh, 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 headway, uh, when the answers are, are, are pretty clear what does work and, and I think what, what is, you know, the unspoken success story, uh, with regard to, uh, the cancer problem is, uh, early detection. There are techniques out there where you can detect cancer when it's no larger than the head of a pin and when a uh, cure is, is easily, uh, and readily available. And I'm not talking about five-year survival. I'm talking about a cure. Is a big difference. When the NCI or the American Cancer Society or, or most doctors talk about uh, treatment of cancer, they're talking about five-year survivals. That's not a cure.
0: In other words, uh, the progress that they're talking about is really more of a PR spin with regard to five-year survival rates than it is with We've Found a Cure.
2: That's exactly right. If you look at
8: the actual improvements in uh, in cancer uh, therapy, uh, the story is very dismal. I mean, there has been almost no improvement. Uh, the only real improvements that have been seen uh, are with breast cancer, uh, and that is because of the very early detection technology with mammography, with mass screening through mammography.
0: And there's great controversy about that?
8: Well, I think that early detection really is an answer. Uh, that, you know, from my read of it and certainly from the, uh, members of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, there are now 4,000, uh, members of the Academy, all physicians and scientists from, uh, 40 different countries around the world. Uh, we're strong believers in very early detection because, again, cancer at stage, quite at stage one it is 90% curable. Stage one is when a cancer is about the size of a T or smaller. And that sounds very, very small, but we do have the technology now to detect it. There are blood tests that can detect cancer almost anywhere in the body, and there is new uh, imaging technology with MRIs and with um, uh, with the new types of breast cancer detection methods and uh, other. Uh, if they have technology, that can spot these things when they're early. When they're that early, you can take a needle and put a needle into that tumor and irradiate it with a laser or just heat the needle or just inject some liquid nitrogen to freeze the tumor, and it's gone, and it's gone forever, and that's a cure, and that's really the promise uh, of the future of cancer therapy is its early detection. Spending the hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars that we spend on trying to cure cancer up to this point has been by and large a waste, and the only bright spot in the whole picture is this work that we talked about earlier with uh, cellular control sure. of, uh, of, of, of the cancer itself or of all the cells of the body.
0: Are you familiar with Dr. Lorraine Day? No, I'm not. All right. Uh, she was a surgeon in San Francisco that got into a great deal of controversy about AIDS,
8: Oh, yes, I think I have heard about her. She's an orthopedic surgeon.
0: That's right. she was
8: concerned about AIDS being spread by aerosol and other things.
0: That's right. Uh, But she recently came down with a late-stage cancer, and she had on her chest something the size of a grapefruit. I mean, it looked like something out of the movie Alien. It was horrible. She had it surgically attended to. It was in her lymph glands, and she was able to cure herself of cancer through
8: diet. There is a lot to be sick for diet and it goes back to stimulating the body's immune system. We have within us the yeah. greatest cancer fighting, disease fighting mechanism on the planet. Certainly far better than anything that man has created. It was created by, you know, the creator of man. And uh, our immune system is incredibly powerful and incredibly strong and uh, the work and the bias in, in medicine and in science against natural healing is, uh, is just completely, uh, uh, you know, is completely wrong-headed. I've been told by many
0: scientists that we will be able to cure AIDS at the same time that we can change the color of your eyes.
8: No, I believe that, uh, you know, I think that we will be able to change the color of our eyes with uh, genetic engineering, but that's, again, 20 years in the future. I think the cure for AIDS is, uh, is far closer.
0: All right. Uh, before we leave that topic, uh, far closer in what way and, and through what avenue, and, and, and as long as we're on the subject, uh, this cocktail mixture they're giving to AIDS patients now, mm-hmm. that seems, uh, Magic Johnson, for example, yes. um, AIDS now is not detectable, HIV is not detectable in his blood any longer. Where are we here?
8: Well, we're far closer than than most people realize with regard to treatment for AIDS, and that's because of these protease inhibitor uh, drugs uh, that are part of this chemical cocktail. Uh, usually it's a three-drug cocktail to inhibit uh, the, rep- the, 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 the reproduction of AIDS. It's not a cure, not a cure yet, but it's darn close. What it does is it suppresses the virus to the point where it becomes virtually undetectable. The problem with it becoming a cure, is, and that's the next step. Is the virus hides out within the white blood cells of the body, and it goes into a remission kind of state. It just it, it, it goes into a dormant state. And so what we have to do with the next step is find those white blood cells and find those uh, reservoirs of the virus and eradicate those, and then we will have a cure for the uh, you know for AIDS. What kind of timeline do you see? Um, Five years.
0: Five years?
8: Yes. A lot, now, that's a lot of
0: hope for a lot of people.
8: Well, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a very positive story. Uh, I think that the, you know, biotechnology is advancing so incredibly rapidly, especially in these new frontier areas. I mean, you know, virtually, uh, viral, uh, drug therapy was virtually unknown ten years ago.
4: Well, well
0: here's a recent example. Uh, I, along with a gazillion other people in this country, came down with this godforsaken uh, flu. I came down with the flu, and it was always my contention that when you get the flu, there's nothing you can do. You drink liquids, uh, you do the basics, and you wait until it leaves you. This was the worst I've ever had in my life, and so I finally gave in, and I went to the doctor. And when I went to the doctor, he said, why the hell weren't you here last week? I said, for what? I mean, what can you really do? And he gave me antiviral medicine. And he said, didn't you know that we've got antiviral medicines now? And, and doctor, in two days, I was a million percent better. I couldn't believe it. I didn't think you could do anything with the flu.
8: Oh, yes. We now do have antiviral drugs. And even, I think even more excitingly, we have therapies, both drug and nutritional therapies, that bump up our own natural immunity, and that can stimulate our immune systems, and our immune systems can make the difference between having a a, a cold or a flu that lasts, you know, lasts two weeks or that lasts two days.
0: All right. Um, This brings me to my next topic. Um, If you watch the news, CNN and the networks, on a daily basis you will, with regard to nutrition and what's good and bad for you, you will go out of your mind. Uh, milk, butter, coffee, wine, fat, meat, you name it, one day, they're good for us, the next day, they cause breast cancer, uh, drink red wine, it's great for you, don't drink red wine, you'll get breast cancer, and and with nearly every food product that I could imagine, day to day, the information is contrary. Uh, what is a mother to do?
8: Well, it's a, it's a difficult issue. Yeah. Um, it's a very difficult issue because, you see, the media is hungry for a story, any story. Um, I shouldn't say any story. The worse the news, the better the media likes. That's true. <laughs> okay. I admit that. So, and there is a lot of research going on in many areas, and some of the research is very solid, and some of the research is very tenuous. And so you can prove things one way or another. I mean, some some things work very well in mice, but they don't work very well in people. Mm. Uh, the best thing you can do is you can ignore the first study on anything. Mm. Ignore the second study on anything. When it gets to be a third study from three separate laboratories, from three separate groups, on people, not on mice, not in a test tube, not on goldfish or planaria, mm. then you can say, hmm, this is looking interesting. And you can, may want to incorporate that into your own lifestyle.
0: All right. Into that category, would you fit an aspirin a day?
8: Oh, I think an aspirin a day is very, very strong science. Uh, there are at least two dozen major studies on aspirin in humans that are out there. Uh, in the literature, uh, I suspect there's more than that. But I, last time I looked, it was there was two dozen major, I mean, large studies, thousands of people. Right. Uh, and uh, aspirin is really, truly a wonder drug. Uh, it can reduce the risk of heart disease. It can reduce the risk of stroke, mm-hmm. and it may very well reduce the incidence of colon cancer as well. Really? Yes. Now there's a caveat to that. Some people are sensitive to aspirin, and certainly those people shouldn't be taking it willy nilly. Aspirin can thin the blood, and if you have a bleeding problem, you know, you should be careful about it. Hopefully you have a doctor who's as well read about these things as you are and can give you good advice on whether you're a good candidate for taking aspirin, but I myself take one aspirin every day. Every day. Every day.
0: Huh. Um Doctor Let's say that in 30 years we get to the point where we can keep people alive uh, more or less indefinitely or even increase lifespan by, say, 300%. Uh, Why would we want to do that?
8: Well, (laughs) that's kind of a very personal question, I suppose.
0: It is. I'm just curious about your answer.
8: It comes down to how much you enjoy life and if you feel that you've accomplished all that you need to on this planet. I think the greatest tragedy is for someone to die before their time. We're all here for a purpose. Some of us have a, a more important or a, not a more important, but a bigger purpose than others. And uh, I'm not ready to uh, go silently into that long night until, uh, until I've accomplished everything that I need to accomplish. And I figure for myself that'll take about 150 years at a minimum. And when that time comes, and I've done all that I need to do, then I'd like to give my good friend Dr. Jack Kavorkin a call on the phone and ask him to come over for uh, you know a visit and a house call, and uh, maybe that's when I'll be ready to move on. Do, do you know uh,
0: Dr. Kavorkin, by the way?
8: Uh, not well. I've spoken with him on two occasions.
0: Uh, An interesting since, fellow, though. Yeah. I mean, since you brought his name up,
8: um, what are your what are your comments on his work? Well, his work is quite exemplary. I have to admit, he's a, he's a pioneer. Um, That's my take on him as well. I, I I frankly have thought the man to
0: be rather heroic.
8: I think as a physician, this guy shows amazing kahunas. Really? Uh, I think as uh, he has a social message, he has a social agenda, and I think that the arguments that he's putting forth deserve to be explored by society and certainly should be explored by the medical community. And the medical community has been, um, timid at best, uh, at looking at these issues. There are people whose lives are quite miserable. And there are people who perhaps deserve to be, um, you know, deserve the choice, uh, over their own destiny.
0: All right. Dr. Kavorkian is very public. I had a very good friend, uh, who lived close to me here. Uh, who had terminal uh, cancer and liver disease, and, you know, he was a wreck in coming to the end of it all, and uh, was alone at home, and uh, they had visiting uh, physicians who would come and give him shots of morphine toward the end. Uh-huh. And it is my firm belief that the dosage of morphine in the end is what caused him to expire,
8: how common, like possibly. Yeah,
0: how common a practice is that on the QT, on the quiet, between physicians and patients in America today?
8: Uh, well, 20, 20 years ago, or perhaps even less, it was a very common practice. And I believe that that was probably, I personally believe that was probably one of the major responsibilities of your personal physician to guarantee that you would not, suffer needlessly, especially in the very last hours of life. Yes. Uh, However, because of the drug paranoia that has been foisted upon the American public uh, by our government... Well, you've got that right. uh, Physicians, rightfully so, are scared to death over losing their license for treating people who are in pain with adequate I say that again, with adequate amounts of analgesic medication. There are the there is such an onerous weight on physicians with triplicate prescription forms mm-hmm. and special, special, special licenses and uh, oversight by the state and by the federal government and by their own medical societies uh on virtually every pain medication or certainly every narcotic uh, based pain medication that they write for, that many doctors, in fact, most doctors, are will, won't even write for narcotic-based pain medications any longer. And the ones who will write for it are so timid in their prescribing practices that many people suffer horrible pain, needlessly uh, and without any good reason whatsoever, uh, under the guise that uh, somehow they will become addicted or they will have some, uh, you know, they'll they'll enjoy the uh, experience of pain relief too much.
0: So, basically, you agree with many, many other physicians that um, with regard to pain, we are vastly under-medicated, and the reason is fear.
2: Oh, absolutely.
8: It is a a ridiculous fear uh, on the part of the government uh, that is uh, transmitted through the media to to, to the public, Uh, and that physicians are responding to, and good doctors have lost their licenses for nothing more than the appropriate use of pain medications.
0: God. Uh, Actually, some of the doctors I have been to, even dentists, uh, have told me exactly the same thing, that uh, they have no problem at all prescribing uh, narcotics for real pain, but that they are under immense pressure. Uh, not to do so, by the DEA, and the DEA watches them like a hawk.
8: Oh, yes. Uh, on, uh, if you, uh, you know, every pain prescription, every narcotic pain prescription as written in the United States is on the computer, and you are on the radar screen immediately. And uh, the pharmacists in America have been co-opted into uh, becoming many DEA agents and are encouraged to report physicians who prescribe medications perhaps, uh, you know, a little bit more than their colleagues,
4: mm. and
8: even patients who are receiving those pain medications. Any patient who has had the misfortune to require narcotic pain medications, who's walked into a pharmacy, I'm sure has had that wonderful, warm feeling of being looked at as if they were a dope addict and a criminal, um. and certainly in the big cities. And, again, I'm not putting the blame on the pharmacists. They are really under pressure, just as the physicians are.
0: This is even now changing in Europe. Europe has begun to tighten up the same way as America. So, if anything, it's going in the wrong direction.
8: Well, certainly in the wrong direction with regard to patient care and with regard to quality of health care uh, for the population.
0: All right. All right. Doctor, when we come back, I want to ask you, uh, we we're we're, you know, one of these breakpoints again. I want to ask you about cloning. I know that you know uh, quite some bit about cloning. It is uh, a point of great fascination for me. So if, uh, if, if you're ready, when we get back, we'll tackle that.
8: You've got it, Art. All
0: right. Dr. Ronald Klatz is my guest. He is recognized as our nation's leading authority on the science of anti-aging. We'll discuss that. We'll talk about cloning, and then we'll get the phone lines open, and we'll let you ask what you would like. From the high desert, which is dry tonight, this is Coast to Coast AM.
5: in the kingdom of Nile. Send it to him at area code 702-727-8499. 702-727-8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now, and here again is Art.
0: And my guest is Dr. Ronald Klatz, recognized as the world's leading authority on the science of anti-aging. He says, make it another 20 or 30 years, and we may get to the point where we can make you virtually immortal, and that's what we've been talking about, and before we leave that, I do have a couple of other questions, and then we're going to talk about cloning. When you think about the future and watch the stock market, what do you think? Things getting better or worse? Well, today's market, 84, 50-something or another. Amazing, huh? Uh, Will it turn down at some point? Inevitably, what goes up comes down. But if you know how to trade in commodities, things like gold, copper, orange juice, heating oil, beans, cattle, commodities, then you can circumnavigate the irregularities of the market. For three and a half years now, I've been telling you about Ken Roberts, a multimillionaire himself, who made his money in commodities and who now teaches people teaches them how to invest. He doesn't advise you. He teaches you. It's not a get rich quick scheme, though a lot of you have become rich. I know because I've got the letters. It's a no risk approach he uses. He teaches you and you trade on paper every day as you would normally do. And only when you're certain you would make money by using money do you graduate yourself and take off. It works, folks. And tonight all we're asking is that you make a free call. Without obligation, you get an audio tape and a complete report that explain, lay out the whole thing. It's 1-800-GOLD-KRC. That's one 800 K R C. Now, Snappy, if you have a computer and you don't have a Snappy, you just don't have a whole computer. Believe me, it comes from Play Incorporated. It grabs the most stunning Uh, pictures from any camcorder, TV, or VCR, and puts them right into your PC. Uh, The the cost, $99, about the size of a pack of cigarettes. It plugs into the parallel port where your printer would normally plug in, so you don't have to take anything apart. New Media Magazine says Snappy compares to a $20,000 digital camera. It does. What they do uh, to get this instant rendering of something otherwise in motion is – Beyond comprehension, it's in their chip and new software. Now, if you want to see Snappy, they're on the web at www.play.com. Or, go get a Snappy today at your favorite computer store. And the price, my friend, is just $99. All right, uh, back now to Dr. Ronald Klatz near Chicago, an interesting place, Uh, uh, lately uh, for science and medicine. Uh, doctor, um, somebody rightly faxes me and, and says, look, before you leave the uh, the whole concept of uh, stopping aging and immortality, uh you've got one area you've really got to cover, and that is we've got to make it through the next 20 or 30 years to get to that point. And so... It's important to ask you what vitamins we should be taking, what uh, type and quantity of minerals we should be taking, what kind of quality of hormones, uh, quantities, uh, like the HEA, aspirin. In other words, doctor, what can we do to get through the next 20 or 30 years uh, necessary to get to this wonderful genetic explosion of uh, um, immortality?
8: Okay, all right. You ready? Sure. You got a pencil? I do. Okay. Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to uh, you have to arm yourself with knowledge, and that comes from reading the literature, and that comes probably from being a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, uh, which is uh, the society of physicians and scientists, also available to the general public, and uh, we have a website which has over a thousand pages of information. We are linked,
0: by the way, to your website. You're, you should expect a lot of hits, folks. If you go to my website right now, go down to Dr. Klatz's name and click. You will go to his website instantly. Just go to www.artbell.com, scroll down to uh, the good doctor's name, click on it, and away you go. Doctor?
8: Now, if you can't get to, the, to our website, which is worldhealth.net, uh, your listeners can call the Academy of Antiaging Medicine in Chicago and the number, may I use that?
0: Uh, absolutely.
8: The number in Chicago is 773-528-4333.
0: Okay, uh, 773, the area code, and then
8: 528-4333,
0: and what do they get?
8: Well, they can uh, become a member of the academy, and they'll get our newsletter. They'll also uh, uh, get reading lists. They'll also be put in touch with physicians in their areas or clinics in their areas, that are practicing this new science of anti-aging medicine. Interestingly, in your own backyard is a, uh, a center, which is uh, perhaps the most advanced anti-aging center in the United States right now. It's, a, uh, it's an organization called Cenogenics, and they're in Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> and they are a leading center that's focused on hormone replacement therapy for anti-aging purposes. And they're uh, utilizing all the different hormones, but especially human growth hormone, Specifically, uh, for anti-aging purposes, and that company, again, is Cenogenics. Where, where do I buy some of that stuff? I'm sorry? Where do Uh, I buy some? I mean, do I drive into
0: Las Vegas and, uh, do I get it across the counter?
8: Uh, well, you'll have to get a a physician's prescription for it, but interesting, (laughs) okay. Interestingly enough, human growth hormone has just been approved by the Food and Drug Administration for use in, um, for use in people who are suffering from aging-related disease.
0: Well, uh, you mean I could go to my doctor and I could say, Doctor, I'm getting old.
8: Help. I need the following. Yes, you could. And And it would would be perfectly reasonable. Really? And perfectly okay for your doctor to prescribe you human growth hormone, specifically for aging-related disorders. Wow. That's a pretty big step on the part of the Food and Drug Administration. I'll say... Now, this is entirely new. It just occurred this year.
0: <laughs> you really shocked me. I was ready for you to say, look, this is a research organization. You can't go down
8: there. <laughs> wow. No, but in, in Las Vegas, this place, Cinegenics, is really uh, on the cutting edge of these technologies. Now, there are hundreds of doctors across the United States who are practicing this anti-aging therapy, and they're using human growth hormone testosterone, estrogen Progesterone, uh, pregnenolone, melatonin—I mean, the whole panoply of uh, anti-aging hormones.
0: Uh, now, I'm a guy.
8: Do I need estrogen? Probably not, though it's possible.
0: I mean, I don't want to grow appendages.
8: No, but if you're a woman and you're postmenopausal, uh, just this last year, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, was a really a landmark study. It showed that women who are postmenopausal who take estrogen replacement therapy have 50% less incidence of degenerative diseases of aging across the board, less osteoporosis, less heart disease, less wrinkling of the skin, uh, less problems with dryness of the mucous membranes, and even less Alzheimer's disease. Wow. Not only do they have less degenerative diseases of of aging by as much as 50% less, but they also have a longer lifespan and so the largest study in the history of science is the 10 million women who are out there taking hormone replacement therapy right now est- estrogen replacement therapy and they're having less degenerate disease and they're living longer and that's according to the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association uh, so that doesn't validate anti-aging therapies so I don't know what does
0: what about men what about testosterone
8: testosterone is probably just as important uh, but not as well studied as, e- as estrogen because not nearly as many men are taking testosterone replacement therapy. Should they be? Probably they should. It turns out that when you give testosterone to men who are deficient, interesting things happen. They become more manly. They become less, wim- uh, less weak, less uh, less frail, less emotionally uh, flaccid. They also become less flaccid altogether. <sighs> and less
0: in touch with their feminine side, huh?
8: Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, also, interestingly, uh, some recent studies have shown, you know, that we've been very concerned about taking, uh, hormone replacement therapy, or at least testosterone, because of prostate disease. Turns out that the men who are getting prostate disease actually have lower testosterone levels than normal. <laughs> so the whole idea behind anti-aging hormone replacement therapy is not to give, make people into supermen, but to give people just enough to bring them back to a normal, Youthful, healthy level, right. just as you give insulin to a diabetic.
0: All right. So number one, human growth hormone, which is now
8: available. Uh, then what? Okay. Well, well, I, I guess we don't start with human growth hormone. We probably want to start with proper nutrition and proper exercise. You know, eat right, exercise right. You know, avoid the.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're you're running right past that. Eat right. What does that mean?
8: Well, uh, I eat a balanced diet. You know, try not to overeat, make sure that your uh, body weight is within uh ten percent of ideal. you don't have to get crazy and go to ideal body weight, which is very hard to, for most uh you know elderly people to achieve but even ten percent above ideal body weight is no uh, is not an increased risk for premature death as a matter of fact, there's some studies that say that even twenty percent above ideal body weight is not an increased risk for premature death as long as you exercise on a regular and routine basis. Mm. Uh, Exercise is incredibly important. Exercise is probably the number one anti-aging therapy that's available to each and every one of us.
0: Okay, exercise followed by diet. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be... A lot of people call me, and we have great grand arguments about uh, people who don't eat meat. They're vegetarians. They feel better. They say they look better. Personally, I think they look emaciated.
8: (laughs) But
0: how do you come down on, on that? People who just eat vegetables...
8: Well, you know uh I always wanted to be a vegetarian, but I just like my steak a little too uh too much on the rare side <laughs>
0: um,
8: I suppose there's a good argument about against eating red meat on a regular basis because mm-hmm. much red meat uh you know does have a, a number of hormones in it. There is some increased risk uh for certain uh cancers if you eat a lot of red meat and especially if it's uh you know charred uh too heavily um but I think red meat in moderation probably has no significant increase uh, risk of premature death, and probably is, there's some benefit to it because there are certain nutrients that are found in in, in in meats that are that are very hard to come by in a vegetarian diet. Uh,
0: now, minerals, uh, you hear a lot of preaching all over the place about minerals and how we need to replace uh, minerals in our body uh, that we are not getting now through natural means like the water and all the rest of it, Uh, what should we be doing there?
8: Well, I I suspect that probably one of the most significant minerals that are deficient in the American diet is selenium. Selenium. Selenium is a very important mineral uh, in that it is cancer protective. If you look at populations that have low selenium levels, they have much higher risks of cancers than people who have high selenium levels.
0: So selenium is important. Interestingly, if you look at uh, different parts of the world, uh, you you, you come up with very different figures regarding longevity. The Japanese, for example, seem to live and live and live and live.
8: Yes, they have the highest longevity on the planet right now. How how come? Uh, Well, they have uh, excellent health care. They have a very stable social environment, uh, but they also do some interesting things. Oh, by the way, they smoke quite a bit.
9: I
0: know,
8: <laughs> and they drink quite a bit too. I know. So what does that say about smoking? I, I don't alcohol? know, but it comforts me. <laughs> and
0: alcohol. <laughs> You're not a smoker, are you? Uh,
8: no, but I'll tell you, so politically, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, I feel bad for Joe Camel. You know, he's been uh, getting uh, pretty hard, uh, hard treatment by the government. I, I almost uh, feel like buying a pack just in protest. Hey.
0: Well I to tell you what to do
8: just to help out those uh, those, those <laughs> beleaguered smokers out there. I think that smoking is you know there is a lot of health risks involved with smoking, certainly uh but you know maybe uh a little bit uh maybe we've gone a little overboard, maybe just a bit, yes, uh. Uh-huh. I think that's the best way to put it. I think that the the, the the lesson that I've learned from anti-aging and looking at demographic studies is that everything in moderation, that's the truest uh, words, and Shakespeare spoke them. I'm sure someone before Shakespeare had, to, had sure. to say it, but it's absolutely true in medicine, and it's true in life, and uh, I think it will also turn out to be true in anti-aging as well.
0: you remember you were talking about five-year survivability and the numbers and how they play with the numbers?
8: Yes, sir. Every year, I'm told that we
0: get 390,000 or 400,000 smoking-related deaths. And I have always been very dubious of the way they arrive at these figures. For example, uh, back east, if you spend a lot of time in your basement, you're going to be irradiated because there's radiation coming from the ground. Yes, that's true. And uh, that may well result in a lung cancer, for example. Mm -hmm. Now, when this person's uh, death certificate is uh, made out, I wouldn't be surprised, but they put down smoking-related if the person happened to be a smoker and they had lung cancer, Mm
4: -hmm.
8: whether
0: it actually came from the smoke or the ground.
8: That is quite probably true.
0: All right, so, there so. is,
8: you know, it, it comes down to, again, it's you've got to be careful what you read and who you believe. And there is certainly a lobby uh, by the smoking industry on behalf of smokers, but there's a, a a much stronger lobby against cigarette smoking. And you can tell that simply by the tilt and the spin of uh, of the media that's out there. I'm not defending cigarette smoking. I don't encourage anyone to smoke uh but uh, i am certainly uh, in favor of honesty and scientific truth and uh, maybe the risks have been overstated to some extent
0: mm-hmm. all right so uh we're talking uh we're, we're talking um, uh, therapy uh hormone therapy we're talking about exercise diet we're talking about minerals what other elements would uh, would go into yeah surviving, say, 20 or 30 years?
8: Well, important minerals that we're finding, again, are deficient in the American diet are both magnesium and potassium.
9: Magnesium.
8: Magnesium is important for heart action. It's important for action of the enzyme systems of the body. And, uh, you know, supplementing with magnesium and calcium and potassium uh, can be very helpful for people with heart disease or people in general. Uh, I think the what we're finding with anti-aging therapeutics is that When we look at individuals, no two people are the same. We're all as different biochemically as are our fingerprints. And so the optimal anti-aging program for you, Art, would be entirely different than the optimal anti-aging program for me or for your neighbor or for the guy down the street. And so what we're doing with anti-aging medicine uh, is uh, we're doing a thing called the biomarker biomatrix analysis. And uh, what it is is it's a, it's a, a battery of, of several hundred different biochemical tests that look at each person individually and try and, and design a program that's unique and addresses each of their deficiencies, both hormonal, nutritional, uh, you know, uh, biochemical, uh, and their risk factors.
0: So the people with the money to get that kind of testing right now are the ones who are going to make it.
8: Well, they're the ones who are getting a uh, uh, benefit of anti-aging medicine. Though it's not very expensive to get started on an anti-aging medicine program.
0: I'm being very blunt here, of course, but I mean it, it does, for many, boil down to money. You more than anybody else would would know about the cost of medicine nowadays, and I know oh. that there's quite a bit in here about that.
8: Clearly, uh, but anti-aging medicine is becoming a is a national issue. It's a question of it's a national, it's an issue of national defense and national security. Uh, anti-aging medicine because. If we don't embrace uh, the anti-aging lifestyle, if we don't embrace the anti-aging technology, our nation is doomed to become a nation of nursing homes when in the year 2025 there will be two 65-year-olds for every young teenager in America. The baby boomers are such a large cohort of the population. They will suck up every dime of social services that are out there and literally bankrupt America unless we change the paradigm of aging. And as a matter of fact, I was in Washington, D.C., giving this testimony before members of Congress and their staff, uh, you know, through the National Defense Council Foundation in Washington, and we were talking about this as a national issue of national defense.
0: Well, that's one side of it. But there's national defense on the other side of the argument as well, and that is, um, exhibited by somebody who just sent me a facts. fax. Uh, could you ask Dr. Class about immortality and its possible conflict with the already exponential population growth?
8: Oh, I love that per-
0: Perhaps Mother Nature's built-in clock is there for a reason, and we should not tamper.
8: Well, I love that question. Thank you, Art. That's the best question there is, and that's the best argument against anti-aging therapies. Yes, indeed. However, it's a very short-sighted argument.
0: Well, I mean, what's it going to do to Social Security? If you keep me alive to 120 or 30 or 40, (laughs) goodbye, Social Security.
8: Well, goodbye, Social Security, as it is right now. That's true. Okay, Social Security is bankrupt. That's no no joke. People in, in Washington tell us that today. Yes, true. As a matter of fact, Greenspan is saying that the cure for Social Security is to, in fact, push back the years by which you can uh, uh, obtain social security instead of sure. obtaining it at 65 uh, you'll have to wait till 67 or even 70 if you're if you're born today hmm. and in order for that to occur what has to happen we have to change the paradigm of aging so that people are no longer old at 70 where they need social security so that they're still young healthy productive and vibrant so that at 70 they feel as good as any 45 year old does today and they don't want to retire, because why would they?
0: All right. Then the, the best argument of all, and that is our environment. Look at our air. Look at the air above our cities.
4: Uh-huh. Look at
0: the pollution of our rivers and streams, uh, the, uh, uh, the ozone depletion that's letting all this uh, uh, radiation in from the sun that's giving us skin cancers and killing frogs and God knows what all. Uh, it, it, you're talking about having a lot more people... On the Earth for a lot longer time, Doctor. Uh, No,
8: I'm not, Art. I am talking about actually curing the population explosion. Right now, there are 6 billion people on this planet. True? About right, yes. Okay. And uh, within the next 50 years of current population growth, we're looking at over 10 billion people on the planet. Ah, That's right. Okay, and that's actually probably a conservative estimate. I would say? say so, yes. Do you realize that in the United States... The latest reports from the U.S. Census Bureau is that birth, live birth of, of American citizens is at the lowest point in history. It's now 1.3 per couple. That is well below replacement level, replacement level being about 2.1, 2.2 per couple.
0: So all we have to do is stop replacing ourselves. Oh, but, then, but then, Doctor, there's, there's, there's Rome and the Catholic church. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, uh, I, I,
1: I have a few comments about I'm that. Bet it you that. Well, all, right.
0: all right, good. Hold on. Uh, we'll be right back to you. Dr. Ronald Platz is my guest, and we will get to cloning, and we will get to calls. I promise. This is Ghost to Ghost AM. What is it that people talk about in the middle of the night? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever stand? Well, one night, if nothing else, set an alarm, think you'd be pleasantly surprised. It's top radio with a twist, right? in fact, it's twisting all over the place all the time. It's the beauty, the magic, the fun, of coast to coast AM,
1: and
0: it's right here all night long.
2: Take a flight into strange airspace. Explore a world of mystery and supernatural phenomena. Don't
0: take a wrong turn, though. You might run into the monsters of your dreams. Sit back and delve into the darkest corners of your imagination. Hello, I'm Art Bell. I'll guide you
2: safely through dreamland into the kingdom of nine.
1: in Fredenberg Radio's regular guy here and I just want you folks to know that I know that you're laughing at me. I know people say, oh you're funny, ho, ho ho. But I know the difference between laughing at someone and laughing with someone. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, tune into the Roger Fredenberg Show and have a good laugh, okay? to
7: join me for the new Veggie Life Hour the first Wednesday of every month right here on Here's to Your Health. John Westerdahl, the nutrition editor of Veggie Life magazine, will join me each month to help you become better educated about the power of your plate. Here's to your health, good health. This is as close as your radio.
10: When our apartment burned down, we didn't know where to turn. As a
7: Red Cross volunteer, I meet people just when they think it can't get any worse. But something happens when they see the Red Cross. I see it in their faces.
10: I have to admit, I didn't expect the Red Cross to be there for an apartment fire. But they were.
7: People watch us on the news at major disasters across the country. They don't realize our local chapters are in their own neighborhoods.
10: After it was over, the Red Cross gave us something to eat and found us a place to spend the night.
7: Our job is simply to help people as long as they need us.
8: The first to respond with care and relief. Count on the Red Cross to help you help your family. But we're not a government agency. We need you. Call the Red Cross at 1-800-HELP-NOW. 1-800-HELP-NOW. The American Red Cross. Because your help
0: can't wait. A real cop. A real robber. Only the names have been changed for radio. This is retired police sergeant Jack Russell, and this is convicted felon
2: 527844. Time served for breaking and entering. Tell them what you told me. When I'm scoping for a house to rob, I check it out. If I saw an ADP on the lawn, I'd hit the next house. Our FBI statistics prove it home with an ADT
0: security system is 15 times less likely to be broken into than a home without one.
8: So don't take chances with your family safety. Choose America's number one security company. Choose ADT. Because a lot of my buddies are still out there. Right now, install a state-of-the-art ADT security system for as little as $99 and get 50% off any one option. Call 1-800-927-9020. That's 1-800-927-9020. Activation fee under restrictions and fees may apply.
2: On Auto Talk, David and Alan try to give quality advice in spite of sometimes guest host, Bart, who gets carried away when women truck drivers call. You know, I like this woman
5: already. (laughs) She (laughs) drives a truck. Are you single by any chance?
1: Uh, Unfortunately, yeah.
5: Well, tell your phone number to this guy, and I'll be coming to see you. (laughs) (laughs) But can you drive a ten-wheel?
1: Yeah.
5: That's a minimum. i got a requirement,
2: see? Bart, how come your face is so real? I mean, uh...
7: Well, I mean, you know, the, the truck runs good when that gauge starts jumping around.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Uh, I That's my know. heartbeat,
2: Susan. <laughs> Let me ask this woman one thing. Susan, are you interested in being part of my calendar? I don't think
1: so. I
2: need a picture of you.
1: I Are you going to make a man cry? Uh, yeah,
2: why not? <laughs> Auto Talk Saturday morning with David, Alan, and sometimes Bart. Let, let me just say one thing I love you. I love you. <laughs>
5: with our Bell in the kingdom of Nye. From east of the Rockies, dial 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico. 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. Now again, here's Art Bell. Dr. Ronald
0: Klaps, the world authority on anti-aging, is my guest. It is a very unusual opportunity to learn about a lot of things, so I suggest you keep it right where you've got it. Listen to this, Facts. Art, I like your show, but my boyfriend really likes your show. He likes it so much, he listens to you every night, even if it's a show he's already heard. Every night, 10 to 3, he listens to you. Our sex life has become difficult ever since my man became an art head. When we are making love, he insists on listening to your show and even makes comments about what you're talking about. I want his total devotion. Will you please tell him to turn the radio off when we're in bed? You can turn you back on after the fireworks are over. If you tell him, he will listen. And she thanks me. Good God, man, get a life. You know, everything, as the doctor said, in moderation, please. All right, we'll get back to Dr. Klatz in a moment. Turn it off. Once again, from Chicago, here is Dr. Ronald Klatz. Doctor, we were talking about living much, much longer, debating the the merits and demerits of it, and we were getting to the Catholic Church. I mean, here we are, living longer, Dr. Klatz imagines that we will not reproduce at the rate that we have been, Uh, and yet there is the the church that says you shall not use preventative devices um, to stop birth reproduction.
8: We need more Catholics. Well, yes. Um, I mean, there there are social issues to be considered. Uh, But the point of the matter is, is are you willing... To practice birth control and zero population growth, and we certainly have the technology to do it right now. The uh, Chinese have certainly proven that that's that's an an immediate uh, option. Uh, They've achieved almost zero population growth in their country, you know, starting from essentially a third world country.
0: Oh, yeah, but they've got laws and guns.
8: Well, I'm not saying that they did it effortlessly, but they've certainly accomplished that, and uh, Uh, in the first world, we're not only at uh, zero population growth, we're at minus population growth. If it wasn't for immigration in the United States, we'd be losing population right now, as is most of the first world. Because we're, what we're finding is, is that as people live longer, have less social insecurity, expect to live into the ripe old age in good health, they don't need a huge family to support them. They
0: become, they become selfish.
8: Well, maybe, or maybe they—maybe the people who are selfish are actually third world, who have <laughs> huge families. That's true. And when you look at why they have huge families, it's because their children die young, and they need to have a lot of children to care for themselves in their old age, because there are no social support systems.
0: All right. Well, then digest this question. Uh, assuming that we reach, in 20 or 30 years, a virtual immortality, uh, we will still have... Third World Nations, the Bangladeshes, uh parts of India, and I really could go on and on and on. I've seen a lot of the Third World. Yes. Uh, if this technology became available, Doctor, uh, would you now
8: dispense it to Bangladesh? Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure, Art. But I believe that when people have Social Security right. and have the security of knowing that they are healthy, they don't have the desire to reproduce uh, ad nauseum. They have a desire to reproduce in a way that allows them and their families and their children to have an optimum lifestyle and an optimum opportunity to enjoy all the pleasures of life, and that is has been proven to be smaller families, not larger families, uh, because that allows more resources for all the members of the family.
2: There was
0: a terrible loss in Chicago today of Harry Carey. Oh, yes. He was um, a veteran broadcaster in my business, uh, devoted, loved the work that he did. And um, he had a very, very high quality of life uh, right up until the uh, very end, doctor's his big loss. Um, could we, with 300% uh, more um, a life uh, or even immortality, maintain the quality of life? That's a big question.
8: Well, certainly, anti-aging medicine is not about gerontology. We're actually about putting an end to aging as we know it. And no one in anti-aging medicine is interested in keeping people alive on ventilators or keeping people alive in a vegetative state. Uh, we're, you know, when that happens, it's time to call in our friend, Dr. Koborkian.
0: All right. I'm, I'm, again, I'm 52. If I were to go to, uh, the doctor and I were to go through every regime you might suggest, in 1998, what could you do for me? Could you, could you sort of slow my aging? Could you begin to roll
8: me back? What could you could do? Probably for me? roll you back a few years. Really? Yes. As a matter of fact, it's not unusual at all from a biochemical point of view, not from a number of candles on your birthday cake, obviously, because right. no one can stop time. Right. But we can, from a biochemical point of view, make you optimize your metabolism, optimize your health, and actually make you look and feel younger than you were when you started. As a matter of fact, it's quite common in anti-aging uh, clinical practice to de-age someone or biologically uh, optimize someone uh, by 5, 10 years, in some cases 15 years.
0: I would, I would imagine that people in Hollywood, these types, are taking advantage of this technology now. Oh, absolutely. Now. I mean, you look at Dick
8: Clark, for example. Well, he ain't doing it with uh, vitamins alone, let me put it that way.
0: I, I always suspected that, and I always rather suspected that the upper crust, the uh, financially um, stable and rich, uh, have
8: been doing this for some time? Uh, quite some time.
4: i
0: think And,
8: so. uh, you know, anti-aging medicine, is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very serious technology, uh, and the good news is it's available to anyone who's willing to educate themselves, anyone who's willing to make an effort. It's very, very inexpensive life insurance. You can get started on an anti-aging medical program for as little as a thousand dollars a year. Wow. And even the people. I mean, I myself am spending about oh four, five thousand dollars a year on my own anti-aging regimen.
0: How are you doing?
8: Well, uh, biologically, uh, you know, chronologically, I'm 42 years old, and when I test myself biologically, I test out at 34 years of age. <laughs> Uh, how do you test And t- that's not unusual, by the way. Uh, I am no great specimen. I am no Olympic athlete. How do you test that? Well, there's this biomarker biometrics analysis. It's a fancy name for this battery of about 114 biochemical tests that we're using right now that goes through this artificial intelligence computer system. And what we do is we measure... You know, just like when you bring your car in for a checkup, they plug it into the computer. Yes. And they measure the horsepower, and they measure the, the, the spark length, and they measure the electrical system and the voltage. And So the oh, they hook you up to something like that. Well, yes. And uh, we do that on a biochemical basis, and we measure these, uh, you know, 100-plus tests, and they can tell us how well each organ system of the body is aging. That's remarkable. And when you can do that, every six months you can see a trend. And you can see, are you aging prematurely? Are you aging, you know, optimally? Uh, perhaps your heart is aging at a more rapid rate than your liver or your lungs or your kidneys, in which case we focus all of our therapies on trying to protect your heart.
0: And that can be done now for $1,000 a year?
8: Well, no, you can get started for $1,000 a year. To do the whole program uh, starts, you know, with all the diagnostics and everything else, about f- uh, $4,000 a year. And if you want to add in the hormone replacement therapy growth hormones, probably the most expensive of the group, you're up to about $10,000, $12,000 a year. But again, you know, the, what's that worth if that's going to buy you an extra, you know, six months or a year of lifespan or perhaps a whole lot more? If we're right about being 30 years from immortality, then uh, it's a very, very intelligent investment. All
0: right, on behalf of all the people out there who don't live... Uh, by all the proper rules, uh, nutrition, exercise, and all the rest of it. Uh, somebody who might smoke, eat an occasional quarter pounder, that sort of thing, uh, could they begin this regimen that you have discussed?
8: Well, they is me.
0: Yeah, they is me too. That's why I'm asking They <laughs> behalf you know, the, of all of us.
8: The, uh, the, 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 the doctors involved in anti aging medicine, you know, we're normal people, and uh, we enjoy the normal pleasures of life. Well, you wouldn't know that by talking to most doctors. Well, they're, you know, uh, Lecture on smoking every
0: time you go in, hangnail, you give lecture on smoking.
8: Well, I, we try not to be, we try to be, not to be holier than thou with the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. <laughs> we understand what it's like to be human, and we're trying to administer administ, to, to, uh, the human nature and to, uh, the human, uh, foibles. Alright, so what you have been telling me then,
0: w- uh, would, would apply to, uh, you and me. Absolutely. People just
8: like us. It, it, that's that's the, those are the only people who we're, we're caring for in this uh, in this academy is uh, normal everyday human beings. What? Now interestingly, the Academy of anti-aging medicine got its start from Olympic physicians. Uh, it started it came out of uh, Olympic training technologies.
0: Well there is this doctor. I talked to you earlier about uh, the state of the ecology and one thing's for sure when you have a lifespan of seventy five or six years, you tend to think in that span, in other words, you don't really worry about what's going to occur 80 or 100 or 150 years from now. And if you live longer, you're much more likely to be very concerned about 150 years or 200 years from now.
8: Oh, very, very true, Art. That is so true. And that's one of the great benefits of anti-aging medicine because it forces people to think in long term, in the long-term yes. view. Yes, yes, yes. And when you think of a lifespan of 100 years plus, which is available, by the way, to all the baby boomers. As a matter of fact, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, of which I'm the president, uh, has announced this last December that uh, 50% of the baby boomers or more <coughs> will see their 100th birthday in excellent physical and mental condition. Mm-hmm. And so when you start thinking of a lifespan in excess of 100 years, maybe far in excess of 100 years, you have to be concerned about the economy. You have to be concerned about ecology. You have to be concerned about the state of the planet. You have to be concerned about your own spirituality, your relationship to your fellow man, and to um, you know the universe. And so it forces that. But even more importantly, it gives you the time. You know, most of us will achieve mastery in this lifespan, in this lifetime, if we only have enough of it. Some of us become wise at age thirty. You know, they're the great masters. Some of us don't become wise until we're 60, some until 80. Maybe some people need to 120, but everybody can get there. And the promise of the Ageless Society and anti-aging medicine is, is that we all can get there if we're only willing to take a little bit of effort to make it, to educate ourselves and to take care of ourselves so that we can benefit from these technologies that are already in the pipeline. All right,
0: we could spend the whole night on this, but I must ask you uh, about cloning. Uh, we have Dolly. Yes. An exact duplicate. And we have there in Chicago near you, Dr. Richard Seed, who's answering machine I've been filling for two weeks now, <laughs> trying to get on there. And he has been talking about cloning a human being very shortly. Now,
8: if we can clone Dolly... Can we clone a human,
0: doctor?
8: Uh, almost certainly. As a matter of fact, I understand in England the same technologies that went into Making Valley have already been used in in vitro fertilization techniques. And even more alarmingly, or perhaps more hopefully, depending on which end of the argument you're on, yeah. uh, the major barriers to human cloning, which was the inavailability of female eggs, apparently it took 200 and some eggs, uh, 200 and something attempts with Dolly, and they need 200 and something eggs in order to to, to, to clone Dolly. Right. Uh, the problem with women is women obviously, you know, uh, uh, ovulate one egg at a time, and even under the pressure of uh, ovulatory drugs, you can only harvest maybe five or ten eggs at most, at a time.
0: Which accounted for the seven-year seven, seven year, uh, twin episode the other day.
8: Very exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, now we're finding in the latest researches is that we may be able to use uh, cow eggs uh, in place of uh, human eggs. What? Uh, as incubators for these, uh, for these uh, uh, cloning experiments. Now, wait it, a minute. Uh, you, you take a cow egg. You take a cow egg. And you, uh, ablate its own internal DNA. And you replace it with the DNA of whatever you want to grow. Whether that be a human being. Or a frog. A frog, another cow, or a chicken, or, or whatever you're in the mood to clone. And it turns out that the reproductive mechanisms and the hormones and the uh, chemicals that are necessary uh, for, uh, you know, growth of that being uh, are right there in the cow's egg, and cow eggs are available plentifully uh because we we eat cows and we slaughter them in mass, and there are literally hundreds of thousands of cow eggs available where these experiments can go on unfettered.
0: That cow egg would then be implanted in... No,
8: no, the cow egg would be implanted in a cow. In a cow. Ca- and the cow in a, in would... Uh, would essentially give birth to whatever it is you wanted to grow up with. Wait
0: it. a minute. The cow would give birth to a human being.
8: Well, right now they're oh looking God. at being able to reproduce rhinoceroses and other um, other species that are endangered. But the same technology could possibly work with uh, human beings. It's a little frightening.
0: Is that is that actually? You're saying that's possible now?
8: That's been reported in the scientific literature. They have not taken animals to full term, but they've taken them to 15 weeks,
0: and then stopped
8: on ethical grounds. Well, no, no, Legal they stopped because there were some technical difficulties in continuing the uh, uh, the birth. But they've gotten it to the point where the uh, where the embryos do take, and where they do start to grow and they do thrive. And then there were some technical difficulties; they weren't able to take it beyond 15 weeks. But that's this is all new stuff. And we're only, this is only, we've just begun to open Pandora's box. So we need to look at this technology and uh, decide is this a, a road that we want to uh, walk through.
4: In
0: order to clone me, you need a sample of my DNA. What does that mean? Does that mean you can scrape under, under my fingernails, take a of hair off my head, uh, a little scoop mark in my leg? What do you need?
8: Well, in Dolly, what they took was they took a, a, they took a, ma- a, a cell from a mammary gland. Uh huh. Okay, so that's why they call it dolly, as in Dolly Parton. Uh, but. I didn't know that. That's, that's where the name Dolly came from.
9: Yeah. No kidding. Uh,
8: but, uh, with you and me, it would probably be a stem cell. Or it might be a sperm cell. It might be, uh, it, it could, it could potentially be almost any cell within our body. Uh, a dead tissue such as hair or nails would be much more difficult.
0: And, and, uh, anyway, from the right, with the right DNA, uh, you could take that DNA and replace what is in a cow egg and grow a human being,
8: grow an exact duplicate. Uh, okay. exact uh, copy, at least a genetically exact copy wouldn't have your thoughts or your feelings or your memories, uh, but it would be a genetically uh, identical uh, version to you.
0: Uh, I read a story the other day about some scientists some time ago who managed to take the head off one monkey and put it on another monkey. And the monkey, doctor, lived. And the monkey was responsive to sounds and things around it, uh, just like it was a, a normal monkey. Now, I don't that know... That was
8: it. Dr. Smith from uh, the Cleveland Clinic. He was one of the speakers at our uh, last uh, conference on anti-aging medicine in December. Yes, he
0: was. So he really did do that.
8: He really did do that. The research was uh, really... Uh, uh, quite exciting because what it, what it proves is, is that, is that, um, uh, head transplant is in fact possible, uh, and his research would have continued except that, uh, there were some people who, you know, thought that it was wrong for unethical grounds and his funding got cut. This was in the 1970s. But he's planning on restarting that research, uh, overseas in the next year or so.
0: If you take that technology and where it might go, And then you look at some certain aspects of cloning
8: technology. You're talking about practical immortality. That is correct, Art. (sighs) And technology is essentially available today.
0: I've heard that it may even someday be possible to grow a human being virtually minus a head
8: that also is being uh, uh is being worked on we're in there are cloning experiments going on right now where they are seeking and i believe that they've succeeded in growing a body a headless body so that what you would have is you would have a sack of organs and these organs would be available for transplantation and what it would mean is no one would ever have to die again of heart failure or liver failure or kidney failure because there would be a plentiful supply an unlimited supply of exact, genetically perfect organs for whoever might need them.
0: My God. Doctor, uh, hold on. We're at the top of the hour this time. We'll be right back. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM.
7: You're listening to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Listeners west of the Rockies can call Art toll-free by dialing 1-800-618-8255. If you're east of the Rockies, the toll-free number is 800-825-5033. If you've never called Art before, you may use the first-time caller line at area code 702-727-1222. And the wildcard line is area code 702-727-1295. When you get through, let it ring, and Art will answer your call in order on the air. This is the CDC Radio Network.
5: First-time callers may reach Art at area code 702-727-1222, 702-727-1222.
0: Now, here again is Art. Imagine trying to uh, be a dancing queen until you're, say, 200 or so. How about that? That is what we're talking about. We're talking about immortality and now cloning. It's quite a world we live in, isn't it? Well, all right, you should know who you're listening to. Dr. Ronald Klatz is recognized as the leading authority, period, on the science of anti-aging. He is founder and president of the nonprofit public foundation, American Longevity Research Institute. Uh, and we are now discussing cloning, uh, which, of course, is um, – uh, well, here's a good question for you, doctor. I'm a little bit cynical about government in general and it would be my view that this technology the cloning of human beings for example probably either in a private or black ops government lab some place or another already has been done
8: i would not doubt it the technology to do uh, cloning has been with us for some time uh, as a matter of fact uh, dolly is uh, you know is, is no great technological feat mm. Um, and perhaps that's why the government doesn't want the rest of us to get our hands on it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. There's some talk in uh, Washington right now about banning human cloning. Well, yeah,
0: that's where I was going. As a matter of fact, the president is signing something or doing something, executive ordering on or something or another, and he's trying to stop it cold. What what should really be done here?
8: Well, you know, it's it's very dangerous to say that, you know, we need to go to the black, uh you know to, to the dark ages of, in any aspect of medicine uh cloning technology you know every powerful technology has you know is 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 two edged there's uh the uh you know possibility of doing you know uh, uh tremendous evil and there's the possibility of doing incredible good uh, i'm on the side of good and and light uh, so you know where I stand. I'm I'm all for the technology, uh, as long as the technology is being applied for the treatment and the amelioration of human disease.
0: Well, and how about as it applies, for example, to something the Pentagon might be interested in?
8: Well, you know, I, I can't control that, and I would love to see, the, you know, all these technologies, everything from nuclear energy to uh Uh, to computer technology, to human cloning, uh, be uh, used for uh, good and light. So then you would say no laws? I think that, well, look, if you create laws, the laws won't apply to the people in government, will they?
0: No, no, they never do.
8: Okay, and the laws won't apply to, you know, let's assume that the people in government are all good guys and all wear white hats, which,
0: you know... I can't do that, but you go ahead. Okay, I
8: mean... uh, uh, it certainly won't apply to the guys in other countries who don't wear white hats, will it? Oh, no, so, of course. So a law that bans cloning, does that protect us from the evildoers or does that simply stop the people who would do good from developing this technology?
0: Where is the cloning technology going? I mean, a few minutes ago, you, we, we talked about monkeys with heads uh, moved from one monkey to another who live. We talked about the possibility of a human being being born from a cow, um, where, where, where are we going here?
8: Well, we're going quite literally any place we want to. That is the promise of the biotechnological revolution. I mean, look at the incredible changes the world has seen in the electronics revolution in just the last 30 years because of new computer technology. Oh, yes. Okay, I mean, you know, you're running a, a national radio show. Uh, a national radio network yes. from essentially your your compound in 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 uh, uh, perrump not compound dr uh, Janet Reno attacks compound. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, I, uh, I, I have, know, have a home here home. I, okay uh, you know this was unthinkable thirty years ago. This was unthinkable probably even fifteen years ago, but That's you right. can con- command incredible power uh, thanks to uh, modern technology, electronic technologies. well, this same uh logarithmic increase in power is happening now in biomedical technology, and it will lead to incredibly wonderful developments and maybe some scary developments. But you know what, Doctor? Uh,
0: while what you said about me is absolutely true, I feel a horrible weight of responsibility and worry and concern about the reach and the amount of power I have because of the number of people that I'm, I'm able to uh, address. I'm, oh. I'm not I'm not comfortable with that.
8: And you know, I'm not well, comfortable. Thank goodness <laughs> you feel that way and that you take responsibility for that power. Um, the same is true in, in medicine or with anything else that's powerful. Hopefully, the people who get their hands on it and who are utilizing it will be as uh, diligent as you are in the exercise of that power.
0: But they're
8: not. I know, but how do you stop them? You stop them from limiting the pow- from keeping the power from everyone. I think the safest thing is what the forefathers of America understood about political power: the most the most benefit for the greatest good of the people was to take the power of the republic and put it into as many hands as they could, through the vote and through a tripartite uh, government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the same is true with, uh, with electronic power. You know, having people access to the internet, having people being able to, uh, reach out and communicate freely, uh, with the touch of a button. And perhaps by taking this biomedical technology and putting it in as many hands as possible so that no one person or one group has a monopoly of power, whether it be power of cloning or power of immortality or power of life extension or or just power over uh, over any aspect of our lives.
0: So, random dumb question: If you could switch heads, if you can grow a clone without a head and you can virtually take your head and put it on that clone, that can be done someday. Yes. Uh, you are then a new human being, except that your brain, of course. Uh, from <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: um,
0: so, what about the brain? Uh, what is the life, assuming other bodily functions, um, remain young and youthful and are brand
8: new? What about the brain? Well, the brain is a very interesting organ, and we're just beginning to fathom the depths of, uh, of the brain as an organ itself. Until about 15, 20 years ago, we had not even a clue as to how the brain actually worked, and we're just now beginning to, to develop some... Reasonable understanding of what is going on with the brain. It's an incredibly complex organ.
0: Um, with regard to longevity.
8: The brain probably has, under optimal conditions, right, has a lifespan well in excess of 120. Well, we know it has a life, a life expectancy well in excess of 120 years. Sure, we do. Probably uh, something over 200 years. But we are working on technologies now where we can actually do brain transplants where we can actually transplant little pieces of brain tissue what? into our own. Yes, uh, don't you recall the work done in people with Parkinson's disease? I do, and that, that was using, uh, I believe, fetal material, wasn't it? Fetal tissue, yep. uh, or sometimes pieces of the suprarenal gland from the kidney, and implanting that into the brain of people who have Parkinson's disease, who have that area of the brain that's responsible for making dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter, In Parkinson's disease, that portion of the brain dies off, and they don't have enough dopamine, and they undergo these uncontrollable, uh, jerky movements. What kills the brain, doctor? Well, the brain dies because of many different things, toxins, too much alcohol um, uh, as a natural course of aging, and also decreased blood flow. We're finding that perhaps a significant portion of Alzheimer's disease... Blood flow? Uh, Of Alzheimer's disease. Oh, you're going to say, is blood flow? Is due to diminished blood flow. Mm -hmm. You know, we develop as we grow older. Our arteries start to clog up, and our, our our capillaries, which are microscopic arteries, clog up first. And when they start to to clog and no longer produce deliver the proper nutrients to the organs, whether it be the kidneys or the brain, those portions of that tissue that are starved for blood flow to die off very slowly, and that may be the initiating event that leads to a significant portion of Alzheimer's disease. This is an area that's being explored thoroughly right now, and uh, there is some promise to it. Uh, you may remember the story about ginkgo biloba that was in the news just a couple weeks ago. I do. Ginkgo biloba is a natural, uh, is, a, is an herb. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a naturally occurring herb that's grown uh, on a ginkgo tree. Does it really work? It really works. It actually improves cerebral blood flow and for people who are elderly who have a lack of blood flow to the brain, uh there is an improvement in cognition and there is an improvement in mood and there is an improvement in energy levels.
0: All right. Doctor, what about the God question? Uh I, I would take it uh, well I shouldn't take anything for granted. Um, are you uh are you a Christian? Uh
8: well I'm Jewish.
0: Okay. Um, Do you believe we have a soul? Do I, personally? Yeah, tough questions.
8: That is a real tough question. Um...
0: I mean, we're talking about a man who is prepared to take us into immortality, a man who believes that uh, cloning um, is uh, a proper road to follow if we do it the right way, and a man who believes that uh, when life, has been satisfied when a person is satisfied with their life that ending it, uh, Dr. Kevorkian style is okay. So I had to ask you this question.
9: Well,
8: a soul as in a separate energy, ethereal and identity.
0: Something that survives, uh, physical death.
8: Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I believe in God. I believe that there is a a certain, that there's a place for every human being and we have a a role to fulfill. And I like to believe that there may, in fact, be something beyond this physical existence, though I don't have any clue what that might be, and I haven't seen much evidence to convince me that there is much else.
9: Uh, There have
0: been many who have talked of near-death experiences in which they go down a tunnel uh, toward a great white light, meet relatives and all the rest of it, Yes. Uh, When you get together with other doctors and you talk about these kinds of reports, and there are thousands and thousands of them, um, how do you rationalize uh, this um, phenomenon?
8: Well, the scientists that I deal with, and and we do discuss these issues, um, you know, it's very exciting, uh, you know, these are very exciting reports, uh, except that something that throws a clinker into the whole issue of the near-death experience is the reports, Of fighter pilots who are trained in centrifuge, uh, is centrifuge training. Right. With these giant centrifuges and put into it to simulate G-forces. Yes, I've been in one. And when you take someone to the brink of unconsciousness in a centrifuge, they're not near death. They're just going, undergoing unconsciousness. They report almost identical experiences. And what that tends to argue for is that in the process of dying, the brain uh, perhaps very um, kindly uh, undergoes this, uh, these hallucinations that uh, you know, relieve you from the fear of death and from the pain of death and uh, what goes along with it.
0: I heard one neurosurgeon, I think on 60 Minutes, say, look, uh, the brain begins dying from the outside, moving inward, and so it is quite natural that you would see uh, what appears to you to be a core uh, at, at, as the uh, death process uh, ensues. Does that sound logical?
8: There is some, you know, there is some basis for that. As the brain starts to die, it Release. There are chemical uh, reactions. There are electrochemical reactions that occur uh, where the brain. You see, the brain just doesn't shut down like you shut off a light switch. The brain starts to die as a firecracker would explode. And in that process of these little explosions, these little biochemical, uh, uh, you know, firecrackers going off within the brain, it would be very uh, reasonable to assume that there might be hallucinations or there might be seizures or there might be all sorts of altered states that occur in that process.
0: We don't know a whole lot about death because people don't come back uh, other than with NDE's to tell us about it. Now, there have been a lot of strange things that have gone on. There was a lady who had an embolism in her brain, 60 Minutes again, did a big piece on this. They reduced her body temperature. Yes. Suspended uh,
8: Animation Surgery. Absolutely. Welcome back, Mrs. Cotter. That, got it. That's it. And I'm very familiar with that because what I do for a living, anti-aging medicine is a, is a pursuit and a, you know is a, a, an avocation. My vocation is uh, I'm involved in a biotechnology company that has taken that suspended animation surgery technique and collapsed it down into a briefcase-sized emergency medicine device that can be brought into the field in war or in ambulances and can plug into a person's carotid arteries and put the brain on hold uh, in a state of hypothermia. Put the brain on hold. And so essentially allow uh, the emergency medical personnel, instead of five minutes to resuscitate an individual, because that's how long they have before their brain dies, inextricably. Uh, once they're plugged in, they could be kept on, in a state of uh, suspended animation for as long as an hour.
0: Uh, indeed, she was gone for, I think, 40 minutes or something like that, and, and the big question at the end of the program was, "Where was she?"
8: That is a very important question. If, in fact, there is uh, another realm, there is another existence beyond this, then it makes uh, you know our quest for immortality uh, a uh, rather moot point, doesn't it? However, as I said before, uh, you know, anti-aging medicine is really not going to achieve total immortality. When we talk about immortality, we're talking about lifespans of 150, 200, 300 years. Add cloning, though. Well, with cloning, you may be able to go on indefinitely. That's true. And I have another, t- another wrinkle for immortality. And that is, uh, that is immortality, psychic immortality, uh, in silicone. I beg your pardon? There is technology afoot that's being uh, pursued right now uh, in England by British Telecom, a computer chip that will essentially record every visual experience and auditory experience you have throughout life. Virtually
0: downloading you.
8: Downloading your personality onto a computer chip.
0: Well, you've got to remember, (laughs) what can be downloaded can be uploaded.
2: That's true.
0: Now... If clones are possible, and um, they are, then if you, were to, if you were able to, in essence, download the, the contents of your brain, what would stop a scientist or a, a person of medicine like yourself from then, in effect, uploading this to a clone's brain, doctor?
8: Well, we don't have the technology yet to interface between the computer And the human brain. We're getting close. Yes, we are. And when that does occur, then you are talking about actual, real-life, forever, immortality.
0: Uh, One kind of gory little question before the bottom of the hour, very quickly. When we die, doctor, as I said, we have no idea what happens. Uh, When a person is uh, clinically dead, no pulse, no respiration... Uh, no breathing, uh, uh, no anything, um, is it probable that they're still mentally, I- in some sense, alive?
8: Highly improbable.
0: All right. On, on that note, hold it right there. We're going to have to go to the phones when we get back. It is the bottom of the hour. What a fascinating interview, Dr. Ronald Klatz, who is uh, – the leading authority on the science of anti-aging is my guest, and he will be right back. This is Coast to Coast AM. I
1: see of I see them blue, in you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And cry, fight the frightful days, dark sleepless nights, and I think to myself.
5: Coast To Coast AM with Art Bell. From east of the Rockies, call Art at 1 800 825 5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, at 1 800 618 8255. First time callers may reach Art at area code 702 727 1222. And you may fax Art at area code 702 727 8499. Please limit your faxes to one or two pages. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Now again, here's Art. Once again, here I am. What an interview.
0: Dr. Ronald Klatz, the world's leading authority on the science of anti-aging, is my guest. And we're exploring the limits, the outer limits. Uh, not so far out, though, really. And, yes, we're going to open up the lines now. I uh, have not run out of questions by a long shot, but it's your turn. So if you have questions, come now. From the Associated Press, a Senate bill to ban human cloning was put on indefinite hold Wednesday when lawmakers from both parties expressed concerns that it could slow scientific research despite overwhelming opposition to the idea of human cloning. Supporters of the bill promoted uh, by the Republican leadership could muster only 42 votes for a motion to bring the legislation to the Senate floor, well short of the 60 needed. Among, listen to this. Among those Republicans, two spoke of diseases that had affected their own families and the importance of keeping all avenues open for new treatments. Senator Strom Thurmond, Republican from South Carolina, said his daughter had diabetes. And, quote, I'm concerned this bill, bill may be written so broadly it will restrict future promising research, which could lead to improved
8: treatment, end quote. Is that a healthy attitude, doctor? I think so. I think it's an enlightened attitude. Uh, cloning is very powerful technology, and it has uh, the incredible potential for doing incredible good. I mean, cloning could essentially eliminate the organ shortage, period. Cloning could uh, lead to a, an unlimited supply of blood, unlimited supply of stem cells, unlimited supply of immune stimulants uh and as well as uh new drug therapies i mean uh the the potential of cloning hasn't even been scratched yet
0: all right to the phones we go are you ready yes sir first time caller line you are on the air with dr ronald clark hello
8: hi uh, dr um where where are you sir from denver all right uh you mentioned earlier that uh, baby boomers will have a unlimited demand for uh Whatever government social services, uh, can supply. Sounds like you're talking about the, what economists talk about as the concept of scarcity. Are you familiar with the concept and is it fair to say that you're more of a free market advocate than uh, an advocate of kind of going towards Star Trek socialism? I think socialism has, has proven itself to be, uh, a flawed uh, philosophy for uh, many of the economies of the world. I mean, I suppose there's a few that it might work in, but uh, certainly it hasn't worked uh, uh, well for the Russians. I don't think it works well in the United States. Uh, uh, I think that uh, the free market is, uh, is pro- provides the greatest good for the greatest numbers.
0: And then um, th- there's really no getting away from the fact, though, that um, – anti-aging and cloning technology are going to be available to those of means, correct?
8: Well, certainly, but then so were cellular telephones only available to those of means initially, and the price has come down. I mean, anti-aging therapy, uh, uh, and, uh, an anti-aging medicine program 20 years ago would have cost the same thing we do today for, say, $4,000. You couldn't have gotten it 20 years ago, but if you even tried, you would have spent 50 dollars to
4: $100,000. Okay.
8: Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the
0: air with Dr. Ronald Klatz. Hi. Hi. Where are you?
10: I'm in Ventura, California.
0: Very soaked Ventura, I'm sure.
10: Well, not quite yet, but we're expecting a lot more.
4: <laughs> All right.
10: My question for Dr. Klatz, hello? Hello. Is um, under whose custody and under what circumstances would the clone itself be kept and alive or in suspended animation
8: and I well, That's anyone's guess because it hasn't been done yet. Uh, there probably will be, when cloning becomes commercially available, there probably will be organizations such as Baxter International or uh, uh, the American Red Cross or any people, probably the people who are doing blood banking now will be doing organ banking Mm -hmm. and what they will do is they will grow gen they will grow clones of various different uh HLA types or or genetic types Mm -hmm. uh to be freely available if people should need organs for transplant. Perhaps an even better method would be to grow your own clone uh, and keep it somewhere until such time as you needed it, though that would probably be uh, an expensive uh, venture.
10: I, I agree. I just have these horrid visions of, like, pickle jars all in a row. <laughs>
8: <laughs> well, you know, we do it now with uh, blood, and we do it now with bone marrow, and we do it with uh, bone, and we do it with all kinds of other uh, bodily tissues. Cloning is really an extension of uh, blood banking, or at least organ Uh, organs from clones. Well, doctor,
0: uh, do you remember, uh, and uh, and the movie won't come to me, and please everybody don't fax it to me, but there was a movie, a medical movie, some years ago, and at the very end they walked into this room where all of these bodies were essentially hanging in hammocks. Coma. Thank you, coma. Thank you. Um,
8: No, that's not, I don't think that's where where cloning will go. I think that uh, we'll eventually get to the point where we'll be able to clone specific organs or specific groups of organs and essentially a skin bag. It won't look like humans. I can't see that happening. I mean, it's just just too grotesque and too scary a proposition for most people.
0: But instead, you think we could virtually grow skin bags with all the otherwise, uh, all the internal organs. Uh, For example, how do you do that without a central nervous system telling your organs what to do?
8: You can bring the organs up with a rudimentary nervous system, basically just the spinal cord and you there are ways of uh, developing a or growing a, a an organism right now essentially without a head and without a higher nervous system
0: or perhaps a simple computer running it
8: uh perhaps, but uh it's uh, there are ways of doing it right now with uh essentially where you would grow an anencephalic um, you know uh body bag. <laughs>
0: Um, the Rockies, you're on the air with uh, Dr. Ronald Klatz. Hello. Where are you? Uh,
8: good morning, Art. Dr. Klatz. My name is Dan, and I'm just outside Chicago in Skokie. Okay. So, Welcome uh, to the neighborhood. It's gorgeous up here. It's cold. Um, I have gone blind uh, from glaucoma, but the underlying cause of this is something called Reiger's Syndrome. And through the genome uh, program, uh, they've been able to map out uh, what's gone wrong uh, and where the regers lies. So my question lies in, uh, first off, regeneration. We're talking about the central nervous system here, the optic nerve in my case. Uh, regeneration versus development hmm. uh, of, first off, preventing something like regers, And secondly, for people who already have that or who are blind. Uh, undoing it, and, uh, either, uh, regenerating the optic nerve and or the eye.
0: Alright, so how does all of this possible future technology apply to him?
8: Well, the Human Genome Project, which has, um, apparently marked out the, uh, the, the, the uh, gene pathway that leads to this disease, uh, that now allows for early detection, so, Certainly, we can detect people who are going to develop this disease earlier in life, so intervention can be taken if, in fact, there is an intervention that can be effective. Beyond that, we may be able to actually insert a change in the gene that would alter the gene such that uh, this uh, uh, syndrome of blindness would not occur. But that's 20 years from now, is it? That's, that's a, a ways from now. Uh, right now, he's, he's blind. I'm very sorry to hear that. Uh, there is work going on with uh being able to essentially regenerate the optic nerve and be able to do essentially eye eye transplants though so it's at its very early stages, and no one has achieved great success there's a researcher at uh University of New York who has been able to take a mouse and essentially get an uh, make an eyeball transplant work in the mouse but <clears throat> The only thing he's been able to prove is that the mouse could see the difference between light and dark. He wasn't able to prove that the mouse could actually, you know, see anything beyond that. And uh, we're probably a ways away from being able to regenerate an eyeball, though, I mean, we have the cloning technology. Uh, I would imagine in a few years we could probably clone this gentleman some new eyes, but how can we make those eyes connect? That's uh, a little bit of a ways away of Maybe there'll be a breakthrough. Maybe you'll get lucky. And uh, in five years, when cloning technology is available, maybe there'll be a way to connect those uh, those cloned eyes.
0: Okay, here's another social question for you. We are quickly mapping the human genome, as, as you have said already. Uh, 2000, 2001 will be done. And when we are, and before we get to another 20 or 30 years, when we can actually begin to put it practical use, there is going to be a period of time, doctor, when literally everything will be known about you uh, with nothing more than a sample of your DNA when you're going to get cancer, have a heart attack, whether you're alcohol-prone, violence-prone, on down the list, they'll be able to map you as a human being, know everything there is to know. They're already collecting blood samples from our military for that purpose. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to have 20 or 30 years, doctor, uh, where insurance companies are going to know everything they want to know about you?
9: Oh, don't they already? No,
8: not <laughs> pretty close. Not to this degree. No, you're right. You're right, Art. And that is a that is a, another social issue and a, 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 an opportunity for you know for 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 harm to the individual. I mean, we live in a society that doesn't have a lot of uh, anonymity left in it. Well, I'm very concerned about that. You, you were
0: very anti-law a little while ago, but, I mean, we're going to have a 20- or 30-year period here where privacy, with regard to your own mortality and, and the diseases you might get, isn't going to be gone. Do there need to be interim laws preventing this kind of information from getting from people like you to insurance companies, to the government?
9: Well...
8: <laughs> has it ever stopped the insurance companies or the government i don't i i'm just not a big believer in new laws
0: i i can clearly hear that uh, uh so you probably class yourself as a sort of a libertarian
10: i would
8: uh, republican bordering on libertarian you yes. oh, that speaks um to you. You know, I, I am all for freedom of the individual and for self-determination. Really, anti-aging medicine is entirely about self-determination, about freedom, being able to choose your own destiny. And anything that gets in the way of that, I guess I would be against. Uh, so even information we'll that
2: is, indi- have a doctor,
0: excuse me, any, any, even something that would indicate that somebody in their twenties, by the time they're thirty, is going to have a heart attack. Hard information. You would, you would still see that uh, go to the insurance company, no problem.
8: No, no, I'm not saying I would have it go to the insurance company. Oh. I think that a person's, uh, you know, personal history and I think a person's personal life is their business and their business alone. I'm not for that being shared with the insurance companies or with the government, but I am for the technology that allows that to be to take place because that huh. gives the individual the opportunity to take action and prevent those diseases from occurring. Um.
0: How sure are you of that? In other words, if, if we get genetic information that somebody's going to have a, a failed heart at age 30, as an example.
8: Well, I don't think you can get that. I think the most you can get is that someone has a propensity towards this disease or that disease. Just as you might know if you were to do some sports testing in elementary school, that one kid might be a better basketball player than another. Okay, right, right. You know, because he has uh, you know longer levers, uh, you know, he has uh, you know he has stronger legs, uh, he has a, a rat more rapid growth spurt. I mean, all you can tell with any of this is a propensity towards there's, there how, are how, how much
0: how much of a propensity? in other words, how sure could you be once the human genome is completely mapped, that I would uh, die by 30, heart attack, stroke, whatever.
8: Oh, well, it depends on the disease. If it's a 100% fatal genetic disorder, right? well, then I could be 100% sure (laughs) that that was going to happen. But most diseases are not that way. Most, You are not your genetics. As a matter of fact, a genetic disease does not kill you by the time of 30. It generally will not kill you. All it can do is it can contribute towards your illness or towards your disability. Mm -hmm. For example, my dad had his first heart attack at age 42. I have type 4 hypertriglyceridemia. What that means is my liver is not very good at clearing cholesterol and triglycerides from my blood. When I was 25 and in medical school, I found out of this bad news, and I found out that maybe having the uh, standard American diet, a balanced diet of equal quantities of Coca-Cola and Twinkies (laughs) was not doing my heart a whole lot of good. My cholesterol was... Uh, over 300 in my uh, uh-huh. my triglycerides was uh, approaching 500.
0: So you were a ticking time bomb.
8: I was a heart attack in process. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so I said, oh the heck with this news. So I got very much involved in anti aging medicine as a matter of of uh, you know self preservation. Now I see how you come to it. Yes, and I at age 42 when my dad had his first heart attack. And by the way, my sister had a triple bypass last year, and women are protected from heart disease until after the menopause. And that's, so it's something that goes in our family. It's a genetic flaw. Right. right. My arteries are whistle clean. I have a cardiac CT examination, a, a rapid CT, a computerized X-ray of my heart every year, and my arteries are whistle clean. And the reason for that is because I knew my flawed genetics early enough where I was able to take intervention by taking some antioxidants, uh, by watching my diet just a little bit, and by taking some thyroid and some uh, niacin, I was able to interrupt the genetic problem that would have taken many years off of my life otherwise.
0: So can you assign a percentage to genetic propensity versus environmental um, conditions?
6: I'd
8: say at most... Most people will have no more than half and most, and perhaps as little as a third of their health expectancy controlled by genetics, unless they are one of the very few unlucky individuals who have a terminal genetic disorder, and that will kill them early in life.
0: And the, but, but still, the promise of genetic uh, research, of becoming practical, is that even these things uh, that are, are not controlled by genetics – can be cured by genetics.
8: Is that true? That's absolutely correct.
0: Well, that's quite a promise. Uh, we better if not everything stop everything has a genetic
8: component to it. But how much of a genetic component? The point of the matter is, is that these, you know, if you can go in and control the metabolism of the cell, control the actual mechanisms of life. Yes, sir. It's like reaching into your computer. And flipping those flip switches on your, on your central processor.
0: Mm-hmm. Good analogy. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with, uh, Dr. Ronald Platz. Hi.
2: Hello there. Uh, yeah? You're on the air, yes. sir. Where are you? Um, I'm from Legrand, Oregon.
3: Okay. My name's Mike.
2: Okay, Mike. Hi, Mike. And, uh, Art the greatest show on the planet. I gotta tell you that. Thank you, Thank you. Right
8: Now, uh, Doctor? Um I'm surprised nobody's actually
1: asked this question,
8: but maybe somebody has. I don't
1: know.
9: That's why we have you. Go ahead.
8: Will they be used, will cloning be used for like battle purposes, uh, police
2: officers?
0: Oh, I already asked that question. Uh, I said uh, Pentagon use. In other words, obviously, Doctor, we could and no doubt would clone the perfect soldier, the perfect physical specimen, the a testosterone-loaded giant who would uh, be a killing machine,
8: yes? Well, uh, maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. I'm not in the Pentagon. The technology certainly exists for that to happen. And uh, when you look at the uh, Olympics, uh, you can see just how excellent a human body can be trained and can be made to be with optimum genetics and optimum uh, training methods.
0: But isn't there
8: there going to be a race, just
0: like there's been a race to the moon and a race to do this and that, there's going to be a cloning race for national security reasons?
8: Well, I hope not, Art, but uh, who knows? Uh, Certainly your guests would know better than I what's going on in the minds of uh, the pundits at the Pentagon. I can only tell you where the technology is and, and where medical science is right now.
0: But you are politically savvy enough to understand.
8: I do understand, and I think that that is something that needs to be con- that needs to be concerned to all of us. And the and the solution is is for the public to become more involved and more aware and uh, you know uh, practice this democracy that we have. I you know if if in fact we do live in a democracy, then it's up to us to police ourselves because we get whatever we're willing to accept from our government.
0: Doctor, a lot of people are going to want information that you've been dispensing tonight. There are various ways they can do that. One is to go to my website, go down to uh, the good doctor's name, click on the link, go over to his website, and read. Another is to make a phone call. Would you give us that number again, please?
8: Sure. It's the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine in Chicago, and the phone number in Chicago is 773-528-4333. Three. Now,
0: when can people
8: call that number? Uh, there should be people in the office tomorrow at 10 o'clock Chicago time. And what would they expect to uh, to glean? Well, they'll get on a mailing list, and they'll be offered an opportunity to become a member of the Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. They'll be uh, receiving uh, literature from the organization, a newsletter. They'll be able to subscribe to different scientific journals, and they'll be able to be put in touch with uh, medical clinics around the country, around the world, and physicians uh, all over the world who are practicing this new science of anti-aging medicine.
0: All right, Doctor. I have one more hour. If you want to go to bed, I can now release you or retain you for one additional hour uh, if you're good to go.
8: It's up to you, Art. If you want to keep going, I'm I'm enjoying the heck out of this.
0: Let's rock. Okay. All right, folks. Uh, that number is in Chicago is 773 528 four. For those of you who want a copy of this program, it is a four-hour program. And you can get it uh, now, beginning now, by calling 1-800-917-4278. That's 1-800-917-4278.
7: to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Listeners west of the Rockies can call Art toll-free by dialing 1-800-618-8255. If you're east of the Rockies, the toll-free number is 800-825-5033. If you've never called Art before, you may use the first-time caller line at area code 702-727-1222. And the wildcard line is area code 702 When you get through, let it ring, and Art will answer your call in order on the air. This is the CBC Radio Network.
1: To
5: you. talk with Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye, from east of the Rockies, dial 1, 800 825 5033. West of the Rockies, including Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, 1-800-618-8255. First-time callers may reach out at area code 702-727-1222. And you may call out on the wild card line at area code 702-727-1295. To reach out from outside the U.S., first dial your access number to the U.S.A., then 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye with Art Bell. Right,
0: Dr. Ronald Klatz is my guest, uh, recognized as the leading authority on the science of anti-aging. We're discussing that. We're discussing cloning and many other things out on the edge. Once again, here is Dr. Klatz. And, Doctor, I've got a story here from uh, the Electronic Telegraph, UK News of Great Britain, that says the first gene that influences human intelligence has now been found by scientists, a discovery with a huge social and educational implication. The research could herald the development of genetic tests to target potential high flyers, pave the way to IQ-boosting smart drugs, and raise fears, of course, that embryos that lack smart genes could be aborted. Any comments?
8: Well, that's all true.
4: Uh, it's, it's
0: that's,
8: all true. The, that's the bright side and that's the dark side of this technology. It's up to us to decide how this technology is,
2: uh, you know, is employed.
8: Are we, in your opinion, this is
0: another you know, subjective sort of question, but in your opinion, are we socially prepared to handle the speed at which we are moving technologically?
8: No. No, I don't think we are. I think it's uh, something that we just let happen to us. And I think that it's something that's going to have to become a, an issue for our society because things are happening at such an incredible pace. Uh, most people don't have a clue as to what's going on, uh, that's affecting their lives, their children's lives, and that's affecting, you know, not just this life, but the next life they're going to have. With the next life after that they're going to have to leave. Well, they're,
0: they're getting a clue from you this morning, and some of it
8: is, uh, frankly, very uh, frightening. Well, I hope it's not too frightening. I hope that there's more of a message of hope than there is a message of fear in what I'm talking about. Well,
0: there is both. There certainly is both. Um, all right. A lot of people want to talk to you. East of the Rockies, you're on there with Dr. Klatz. Hello. Hello. Where are you, sir?
9: Uh, Columbus, Ohio. Columbus. Yes, where all the screaming lunatics do not represent the masses here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh Quick question for Dr. Clax. Uh A few nights ago on CNN, I saw something on the news there where they had said they took a microchip and grew some human brain cells on it. Yes, sir. And somehow uh, made some kind of neural net connection between the two. Oh, yes. How does Uh, that correlate with these clones coming out? Well,
0: I I don't know if you really want the answer to that, but here it comes.
2: Doctor?
8: Okay, well, (laughs) okay. Uh, There is a project ongoing in Japan, has been for the last uh, almost 10 years, and it's specifically, and also at UCLA in in California. And uh, it is to integrate a microchip with uh, human nerve tissue. And they're very. This is very early stage development. Um, I don't know how far they've gone with it. I didn't see that particular piece on CNN. But the idea is, is that if you can interface the digital with the cerebral and create a digital cerebral interface, Mm -hmm. you will then be able to accomplish a number of very interesting, um, very positive, and also very frightening events. You will be able to essentially log on, uh, to your computer directly through your brain. Just like in, um, that movie with, uh, oh, it was a very popular movie out, Science Fiction Out, just earlier last year where, uh, uh, the fella had to, you know, electrodes they put into his brain. And he was able to download all this information from a computer. That's right. Now that's, One thing, that's downloading. Now, there's uploading as well, and uploading is when we will eventually, if technology continues to move ahead at its current pace, we will be able to upload our essentially the the total volume of our thoughts, our feelings, our memories, our inclinations, our intellect into some supercomputer somewhere and essentially make a duplicate copy of our persona. Would, would that, would that totality of uploaded, uh, data contain a consciousness? Good question. <laughs> I don't know. If you're a, uh, if you're a basic scientist and you're a, uh, uh, you know, and, and you break things down to the least common denominator, you would, uh, argue perhaps that now, If you're a materialist in science, you might argue that um, that consciousness is a function of complexity and that when you get enough of these individual units together, enough bits and pieces, enough uh, processing power together, that consciousness evolves out of that power of computing. There are others who argue that consciousness is an individual item akin to the soul. It will be interesting to find out who is right. Do you have any favorite theories? Well, I'm hoping that consciousness grows out of a complexity of, uh, of, of computation, because if that is correct, then we will be able to create conscious thinking machines.
0: If that is correct, uh, and, uh, then uh, it would be a sum total of speed and storage and we are making immense progress uh, in both areas, doubling speed of processing every 18 months, storage has gone totally berserk. Yes. I wonder when the first machine is going to say good morning. How are you?
8: I don't know, but I am... Um, I'm fine. I'm hoping that that will occur in uh, my own lifetime, because if that's the case, then truly con- uh, immortality of the conscious. Of yes. our consciousness, yes. immortality of our persona will be achievable when we're able to, uh, download our personalities onto a chip. And, uh, wouldn't that create a rather interesting reality, uh, akin to perhaps early scriptures of heaven on earth, uh, when we will in fact be able to be omniscient, when we can, you know, when we can have that digital cerebral interface, we will be omniscient. We will be, uh, we will live truly forever. And we will be all knowing and we will be able to merge our consciousness with those of, of many others, perhaps of millions of others.
0: To me, it's interesting to note that a mere hundred years ago, for, for, for what you're saying now, or its equivalent then, they would have put you on a large wooden cross with a, a bunch of kindling wood under you and, um, I've had some of my colleagues try that already. Oh, really? Professionally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Professionally speaking. I can imagine. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on
8: the air with Dr. Klatz. Hello. Good morning, Art, Doctor. Where, uh, where is, are you, sir? This is
9: Brett from Santa Cruz. Okay. Uh, my question for the doctor, the alchemist Paracelsus of the Middle Ages describes an alchemical process
8: of what he termed as growing little men, and I was wondering... If you view even a remote connection between modern-day cloning and the writings of Paracelsus, uh, philosophically perhaps. Uh, uh, the science, I don't think uh, the science does not uh, uh, does not mesh. So it's interesting you mentioned the alchemists. The alchemists were really they were not initially looking. The, the, the real gold, uh, the holy grail of the alchemists was not to convert. Led to gold. It was, in fact, to achieve immortality through the Philosopher's Stone. Hmm. Uh,
0: first time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Ronald Platts. Hi.
8: Hello. Uh, Where
0: are you? Sir? Call us toll free at 1 800 618
6: 8255.
0: I can't let you give your last name on the air. That's oh, I'm sorry. About the only rule we've got around here, uh, no last name, so let, no. let us begin again. Your name is Tom. Tom,
6: um, I'm sorry, yes. Um. Uh. First of all, I wanted to tell you the name of that movie. It was Johnny Mnemonic. With, Johnny Mnemonic. Thank you. Right. Um, what I wanted to say was that I have always been enamored with longevity. Uh, I always keep up on the Guinness Book of you know, World Records, and I have all kinds of articles and stuff. What I wanted to say is, is that from the very, you know, uh, you were talking about anti-aging, um, I like to believe that, that I know that everyone grows old and their skin gets, you know, older and, and all this and that, but I like to think that a lot of it can be done in, <clears throat> internally with the brain. I mean...
0: Oh, you're, you're saying it can be done uh, spiritually?
6: Well, sort of. Uh, the thoughts that you think surge through your body and... You know, uh, you no,
0: no, no, I, I exactly understand where you're going, Collar. Uh, doctor, people are said to be able to cure themselves of disease uh, with mental processes. Uh,
2: Absolutely.
1: I,
0: I think we know that uh, people given sugar pills uh, who are told that it will cure their illness more
8: times than not, it does because they believe that it will. That's right, and that's how hypnosis works. The mind is a very, very powerful tool. And it is the master regulatory organ, not just through the nervous system, but through the endocrine system for the entire body. The mind controls, the brain controls our immune system. And the immune system is really what keeps us from being uh, diseased. And so uh, there is an awful lot to be said for the mind-body connection.
0: All right. Um, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Ronald Klatz. Where are you, please?
9: Yes. uh, Good evening, Art. Good to speak to you and and Dr. Klatz. My name is George. I'm from the Kingdom of Dane in Madison, Wisconsin, (laughs) WTDY land. Uh, Very good. Um, I just have a couple questions for Dr. Klatz. I didn't catch the first couple hours, but I wasn't sure if you talked about the telomeres. I'm not sure if that's... No, uh, but we we will. Telomeres. If that's directed uh, directly with some researchers in Texas, and supposedly they they have some enzymes that can lengthen these. I understand the uh, biological
0: clock. Yeah, the telomeres, I believe, uh, as we age, get shorter, and they're out at the end of chromosomes or something. Is that right? Right at the end of the DNA strands or something. Thank you.
8: Yes. Yes. They're very much like the ends of your shoelaces. The little plastic tips on the ends that keep the shoelaces from fraying right and these telomeres uh are uh, perhaps one of the um are perhaps one of the uh important uh biological clocks of the body and it's thought by uh it's thought that you can reset those biological clocks by adding telomerase, which is an enzyme uh to the body uh, uh, to the cells now that has not been done except experimentally but there is some reason to believe that we may be able to reset the clocks of our body. Also, it's interesting that uh, cancer cells have uh, uh, large amounts of this telomerase enzyme, which is responsible to some degree for their
9: immortalized
8: activity. Okay. Um, wild Wildcard Line,
0: you're on the air with Dr. Ronald Klatsch. Good morning.
9: Uh, good morning. This is uh, Dan in Virginia.
0: Hi, Dan.
9: Uh, it's a great show tonight. Both of you are doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Uh I have a couple of questions. Uh Klatz, uh is the level of testosterone uh connected in with the functioning of the thyroid is my first question.
8: Uh there is bi- there is feedback loops between the thyroid, the testes, uh really all the endocrine systems of the body are in one way or another. Uh, feeding back to one another on a constant basis. This is called homeostasis and is what is responsible for keeping all the organ systems of the body in sync.
9: Okay, my second question concerns the pineal gland. Uh, what research have you done uh, as far as any hormones associated with that and its function?
8: Well, the, the most important hormone associated with the pineal gland, uh, is melatonin. Melatonin we're finding is, uh, which is available over in health food stores right now, melatonin is called the dark hormone because it's secreted in darkness at night. Uh, melatonin is a very important hormone because it triggers the onset of the sleep process. Right. And as people get older, their levels of melatonin drop significantly. As a matter of fact, your melatonin levels are highest naturally when you're about eight years old. And if you've ever seen children who are asleep, they sleep like the dead. You, you can't wake them up, you yell at them, you shake them, they're still sleeping incredibly deeply. And as we get a little older, we don't sleep as deeply, and as we get older still, we sleep very uh, uh, ineffectually. And many people uh, over the age of 50 have sleep disturbances to a large extent because of the lack of melatonin. When you give melatonin to elderly people who have sleep disturbance, an interesting thing happens. They start sleeping very naturally and very much more youthfully. And sleep is an incredibly important part of maintaining health and well-being.
9: Also, one last question. Uh, I believe there was a hormone, uh, I call it a hormone, but uh, it's used for dwarfism.
8: That's human growth hormone. Ah,
9: ah.
0: That Very powerful
8: word. anti-aging drug. And that takes us uh, full
0: circle uh, to the beginning of the
8: program. That's right. We had talked about uh, how human growth hormone has just been approved for adults by the FDA for, um, you know, for aging-related disorders because as you grow older, the amount of human growth hormone drops. And we're finding that uh, when you give human growth hormone to elderly individuals, an interesting thing happens. They start to, their bodies start to change, and they become more youthful. They develop uh, stronger organs. Their heartbeat is stronger. They develop more muscle mass. Uh, they lose uh, fat mass effortlessly. And there are clinics all over the country now that are setting up, anti-aging clinics, that are administering human growth hormones specifically for anti-aging purposes. All right. Look,
0: a lot of people out there are sitting there saying, Okay, sounds good. Um, but I go into my doctor, I make an appointment. What do I say
8: when I get in there? What
0: do I say to my doctor? Ask
8: your doctor if he's a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And if he's not, then have him call us in Chicago and have him uh, join up. We have over 4,000 uh, physicians and scientists in 40 countries around the world.
0: Oh, no, I understand. But, I mean,
8: if I want,
0: a pres- if I want to get out of my doctor's office, with a prescription for anti-aging hormone. Yes. So what do I say to them uh, other than to have him call and join if I just want to get out of there with a well, prescription?
8: Well, probably the best way to get a pro- on a program of anti-aging therapy is to contact the academy and find a physician. We have several hundred doctors who are practicing this way. Okay. Go to one of them already, uh, and uh, if you can't find a doctor in your area who's practicing anti-aging medicine, then go out and get a copy of a book called uh, Stopping the Clock, uh, or Grow Young with HGH, Human Growth Hormone. Both those books are by me. I hate to oh, recommend Oh, oh my own you book. should
0: have said something
8: a long time ago. Well, I don't like to pump my own books, you know. Well that,
0: yes, yes, you should. Um, okay. the names of
8: the books again, please. Are Grow Young with HGH, Human Growth Hormone. Right. that's by Harper Collins. Right. Uh, or by me, Dr. Ron Klatz yes. with Harper Collins. And the other book is Stopping the Clock, uh by uh, by uh It's and paperback.
0: And, and are these
8: available generally uh, nationwide in bookstores? Yeah, they're, they're available in uh, bookstores all over the country. Stopping the Clock is about all the therapies uh, that are available in anti-aging, including nutrition and hormone therapy and exercise and diet and everything else, and Grow Young with is specifically hormone replacement therapy. All
0: right, folks, available nationwide. We're going to break here at the bottom of the hour. Dr. Ronald Klatz, the uh, world... Authority on the science of anti aging is my guest. We'll be right back. This, of course, is Coast to Coast
1: AM.
5: Access number to the usa then 800-893-0903 if you're a first-time caller call art at 702-727-1222 from east of the rockies 1-800-825-5033 west of the rockies including montana Wyoming, Colorado, and New Mexico, call Art at 1-800-618-8255. Or call Art on the wildcard line at area code 702-727-1295. This is Coast to Coast AM from the Kingdom of Nye.
0: Dr. Ronald Klatz is my guest. He's in Chicago. Anti-aging, cloning. All those edgy things that we're getting so close to are on top of right now. That's what we're talking about. We'll get right back to them. alright To forestall uh lots and lots of requests, please, everybody. If you want a copy of this program, you can get it by calling one eight hundred nine one seven four two seven eight. 917 4278 It's going to be a four-hour program, obviously.
9: 1-800-917-4278.
0: Now, once again, Dr. Ronald Klatz, Dr., as these technologies uh, become... Uh, just start to become available. Uh, anti-aging, eventually immortality, cloning. Uh, they at first are going to be very expensive and available to the few rather than the many. And of course, that then will fairly rapidly change. And like VCRs and everything else, it'll get cheaper. Question is, when it first becomes available, who decides? Who decides who gets the uh, organs that are grown? who gets the new cloned uh, body, who gets the upload, the download. How do you make such decisions? Who makes them? Uh, How do we set up a little panel of gods to decide who receives the benefits?
8: (laughs) You like asking a difficult question. Oh, I do. do. For for example,
0: would you be a person who would be on such a panel?
8: Well, I, I, I do keep a big leather book, you know, and I have a left side of the page and a right side of the page. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's really hard to say who's going to make these decisions hopefully we're not going to be in a position like we were when the artificial kidney was first invented where there had to be, you know, because of the lack of uh, of, of this technology uh, <clears throat> literally there was ethics panels that were set up to decide who got that's right. dialysis and who didn't and those who didn't died oh, that's right uh, That's hopefully, uh, the technology, has, you know, technology as it develops today is almost so rapid from the laboratory into, uh, our lives that I don't think we're going to be faced with a lack of availability when this technology comes on board. I think it's going to be first utilized by the people who are at the heart of the movement, people such as myself who are I guess the true believers who are willing to belly up to the bar to be uh experimental
2: guinea pigs uh with themselves here, here did you see Jurassic Park? Yes, I did.
0: Would it be possible with cloning to um this is rather morbid, but uh to go to the grave of somebody uh who's been in some reasonably way preserved or even not so uh obtain DNA and clone.
8: Well, right now you need a stem cell, which is a lot more than just DNA. Mm Mhm. But it is certainly conceivable that in the not too distant future you could in fact go out and make yourself another Elvis.
0: Another Elvis.
8: But it wouldn't be Elvis. I mean it, it would be Elvis in body, it would be Elvis in form, it would be Elvis in shape, but it would not have that quintessential Are you sure? Something that makes an eldest. Well
0: Are are you sure?
8: Well, uh no I'm not sure except that I had a very, very beloved pet. I had a, a fantastic air dealer, it was probably the best dog in the world. And when he passed on I went out and I looked for a replacement and there was no replacement for Lex, despite the fact that I was able to find as close to a clone as I guess you can get, because I went to the breeder and I, you know, and the bloodlines are very well established. And I saw a bunch of little Lex puppies that were similar and looked awfully a lot like my dog Lex, right. but he, they lacked the personality. They lacked that quintessential ingredient. And I think that developed. But, but they were not identical yeah. genetic clones. They were very close. Close. Very right close. But not quite identical, but. Mm-hmm. For all intents and purposes, they look uh, they look the same. They
0: look the same. Well, sure, they look now, the same.
8: Until we're able to uplink uh, our memories, our thoughts, our feelings, which again is not beyond the realm of possibility. When that happens, yes, you're right. You're going to be able to uh, you know keep people around as long as you want and have as many copies as you like. <laughs> I mean, we could have everybody could have. Who needs the radio? We could each have an art bell in our living room. All right, that's
0: enough. (laughs) East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Klatz. Hello.
8: Hi, Art.
2: Hi. Where are you? This is Stu from El Paso, Texas, the home of the El Pinto Times, the only American newspaper to the left of Karl Marx. Nobody likes their newspapers. What's on your mind, sir? Uh,
9: Dr. Klatz, I'd like to
2: add some arrows to your quiver with which to fend off those who think it prudent to place control of any technology in the hands of any government. Man. right ahead, sir. I can use all the arrows I can <laughs> All <laughs> right. Sometimes it is said that man cannot be trusted with the government of himself. Can he then be trusted with the government of others, or have we found angels in the forms of kings to govern him? And who said that, sir? That was Thomas Jefferson. That's an excellent quote. Thank you very really much. I know much. no safe depository of the ultimate powers of society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, Mm -hmm. the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion. Also very true. If a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. Hmm. All right. And one last. Yes. This by Anatole France or a paraphrase of that, if the majority of people say a foolish thing, it is still a foolish
0: thing. Is that an argument uh, against democracy?
2: Uh, that is an argument <laughs> against democracy in favor of a republic, which yeah. we are supposed to be.
0: All right. Well, you'd never know it from Columbus yesterday. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Klatz. Good morning.
9: Hello, Art. Hi. This is Joe from Sacramento.
0: Sacramento, yes, sir.
9: Yeah, My question is, uh, if you
8: clone somebody, would the clone have the same thought pattern or personality? Well,
0: that's just where we were, and, and I guess the answer is we we aren't sure yet. Are there, or maybe not, that's not the answer. I guess, Dr. Klatz, I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Really, you're saying that there would be a difference.
8: Uh, I think that unless you can reproduce that, Personality and thoughts are more than genetic;
0: they're environmental.
8: They're environmental. What you can look at is you can look at identical twins. Now, identical twins are very similar, but they're not the same unless you know. I'm talking about identical twins who are even grown, who are even grown. Sorry, who are even raised in the same household.
0: Well, when you take
8: twins that are separated at birth, yes, they're very much different, even though they do have the same sort of taste. They are, in fact, very different. So a clone would be very close to, but unless it was given the same environment uh, to be reared in, it would not be identical to. Your take on Dr. Seed there in would with you? Uh, I've heard Dr. Seed on some um, news programs, CNN uh, specifically, and I was not impressed by Dr. Seed's demeanor However, knowing how stressful uh, the media can be, I don't wish to judge him harshly by that. Uh, I think that it's important that if someone is going to get into the cloning business, to clone people, that they really consider the implications very strongly. And I think that it should be in the hands of, of many rather than the hands of the few
0: would you apply that same logic uh, to uh, Dr. Kevorkian?
8: Uh Yes, I think I would.
0: Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Klatz. Hello?
10: Hi, Art. Hi, Dr. Klatz. This Hello. is Ken in Independence, Missouri. Okay. I was really interested to hear you talk about the immune system, particularly the power of the immune system, because I have systemic lupus. And I'm wondering if Dr. Klatz thinks this is, The cause of this disease is genetic. I've heard several different theories. And what are the best things to do to boost my poor beleaguered little immune system? Mm -hmm.
8: Good general question. Uh, SLE certainly has an immune component. Uh, it's it's an immune disorder. Uh, it has, there's probably a genetic component, though we don't know that for sure. I mean, you know, complete, how much is a genetic component? I will tell you this, there is a huge, uh body of knowledge that is being developed right now on how to uh, optimize immunity. Uh and immunity can be optimized in many ways through nutrition, through drug therapies, through meditation, uh, through alterations in lifestyle. And I would urge you to explore uh those various uh um, you know different methods, uh not just through your local medical society, through conventional medicine, but maybe even through some of the alternative uh, medical practitioners that are out there because there's an awful lot that's known about immunity in folk medicine that is still on, the, is still the cutting edge and uh, the basis of laboratory research for conventional medicine.
0: What's your take on Dr. Duesberg again back to the AIDS subject uh, briefly, now, because it relates of course to the immune system. Dr. Duesberg thinks that uh, HIV is not the causative agent uh, of AIDS at all.
8: Well, I have to. Dr. Duesberg certainly is a very accomplished uh, virologist, and not to take anything away from him. And initially, early in the outbreak of AIDS, uh, I thought Dr. Duesberg might have an interesting point. Um, however, now that so much has been done on AIDS and so much is there in the way of drug therapies, uh, if the HIV virus is not the cause of the organism, then what the heck are we treating? Mm. I certainly believe that there is a lot more to the immune system than we know about and that it is uh, an individual's immunity that protects them from everything, including the AIDS virus. But I think that, uh, you know, the the late, you know, that these years and years of research have taken a lot of wind out of his sails with the argument that that the HIV is an incidental organism.
0: Uh, he connects lifestyle largely with, uh, uh, with onset of uh, AIDS, the actual AIDS. Uh, well,
8: how AIDS. does he account for the transmission through through uh, newborn children? Um, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: I interviewed the fellow, and I I'm sorry, I forget. Uh, that's a really damn good question. <laughs> um, when we do uh, finally cure AIDS, will we have collected a great deal more knowledge about the immune system itself?
8: incredible amounts of information about how the immune system works. That is the only bright light I can see behind AIDS. As a matter of fact, I credit the AIDS epidemic with the slow uh, onset or the slow development of anti-aging because prior to the AIDS epidemic, anti-aging medicine was ready to explode into the public consciousness, into the scientific consciousness uh, as a ripe area for research. AIDS came along and really siphoned off a lot of the uh, research funds for new areas of Endeavor, which anti-aging medicine was really, I think, uh, one of the primary focuses of new research. A disproportionate amount of research funds? Uh, there are arguments, uh, both pro and con, on that regard. I certainly think that just as with the war on cancer, uh, a lot of money has been squandered. And foolishly spent, there's been a lot of interesting avenues, especially, uh, non-drug avenues, uh, or non-proprietary drug avenues that have not been explored.
0: Well, we, we have discovered these protease inhibitors. Now, how big a leap is
8: that? Uh, it's not the, it's not the cure, but it certainly is a big step in the right direction. And, mm-hmm. uh, it, as protease inhibitors, it's just another category. I mean, we've identified literally hundreds of antiviral agents that uh, all have, are promising to one extent or another.
0: Well, the, the uh, SPACE program gave us Teflon. Uh, AIDS has given us protease inhibitors. Is that fair? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I think
8: it's given us a whole lot more than protease inhibitors. I think it's given us probably uh, a good 50 to 100 new antiviral drug therapies.
0: Well, part of that cocktail AIDS patients take
8: is AZT.
0: Now... Uh, Dr. Duesberg's position was that AZT kills people.
8: It's uh, when a they toxic substance. When they,
0: take, when they take it, he says you will see a spike uh, in, 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 the, in, I believe, white cells the, in your immune system response.
4: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, and very quickly, um, you will see a very fast decline, and that's AZT killing off the immune system.
8: Uh-huh. Comments? I... All I can say is that the proof is in the pudding, and people are living longer with AIDS now. So we're doing something right. I am not a virologist. and I do not treat AIDS patients myself, so I can't speak from firsthand experience. Um,
0: Other than to comment on the, on the cocktail, and that's self-evident. Um, all right, Wild card line. You're on the air with Dr. R- Ronald Clapp. Hello. Hello. Yes, you're on the air, sir. Where are you? Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. Uh, my my name is
9: Jeff. Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Doctor, uh, you talked earlier about the uh, uh, the cow egg.
0: Oh, yes, the cow egg.
2: Uh, Now, now the uh, human sperm, would that determine the sex of the embryo? Yes, what you would do is, uh, I
8: mean, this is certainly, you know, it's speculation whether this will work with humans. Though if it works with rhinoceroses and pandas and frogs and guinea pigs, you know, you would have a hard time believing that it would not work with humans. Uh, but what you would do is the, the egg is essentially sterilized, and the DNA, the, the genetic material within the egg is removed, and then whatever you put in its place is the DNA that will grow into the fetus. And so you would put, uh, you know, chromosomes uh, from the sperm and chromosomes, uh, you know, uh, from a, or, you know from a female, uh, or mix them any way you wish. But you actually
0: do envision the day. That a cow could give birth to a
8: human? Well, it's technologically feasible. I mean, we're on that track already. Aesthetically, it's not at all pleasing. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, and just you know, I'm sure that uh, the demand for milk and other dairy products would skyrocket. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't be so.
0: Yeah, east of the wrong. Well, it's late. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Ronald Clance. Hello. Yes, Art. Uh, our- Where are you, Pratil? Uh, Ticonderoga, New York. Okay. Extinguish thy radio for us, please. Gone.
4: Okay.
9: I've, I've heard a lot about fasting and juicing, and I was wondering if you could um, talk a little on it and any uh, readings that I could uh, look up on.
0: All right. Good. It's a good question. Dr. Lorraine Day uh, talked of fasting and juicing, uh, and she claims that's how she arrested her
8: cancer. There is a tremendous body of literature to support both of those therapies. Uh, there is a book that's available through the Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine in Chicago called uh, uh, Seven Secrets of Anti-Aging Medicine that uh, speaks very clearly to those topics. Fasting and juicing are both natural ways of detoxifying the body uh, and stimulating immunity. And uh, they both have their place in, in health as well as in disease. There is one warning for anybody who doesn't.
0: I went on a cruise recently and had the opportunity to uh, go to a juice bar, and the juice I got had a high content of beet juice in it. And when one drinks beet juice, one should be prepared over the next 24 to 48 hours to have Christmas colored waste. <laughs> It's, it's an extremely worrisome thing if you've never been through it before, so a word to the wise. Uh, we're almost out of time. East to the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Klatz. Where are you, please?
7: Hi, I'm, I'm uh, Elf in Oklahoma.
0: Okay. Uh, oh, your radio's on, isn't it?
7: Uh, yeah, one moment.
0: First-time callers, area 702-727-1222
8: programs you'll have all the time right. in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right,
0: uh if you have a quick question, proceed.
7: Uh yes, I was wanting to ask the doctor
10: um cuz he's mentioning guinea pigs earlier. Uh, yes. Uh yeah, I was wondering uh if they're taking like uh
7: names or numbers of people willing to be guinea pigs.
0: Oh, I see. Uh, in uh, other words, volunteers, doctor.
8: Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, when I say guinea pigs, uh, I'm saying that people who are involved in anti-aging medicine are their own guinea pigs. I mean, this, this is in a, in many ways this is cutting edge technology and you serve as your own control, uh, with these nutritional therapies and some of the drug therapies, some of the hormone therapies. And so it's a, it's a, it's a field that is, uh, you know, where, you know, the doctors themselves are volunteers for their own research. Not that the research is dangerous, but, uh, this is, uh, this is new stuff. It's cutting edge.
0: Alright. The titles, again, of your books, please.
8: Well, in the bookstores, you can find, uh, from HarperCollins, Grow Young with HGH, and that's Human Growth Hormone. That's a hard back and a soft, uh, in, uh, in, in a soft cover, is, uh, Stopping the Clock. Uh, by Bantam Books. Stopping the Clock is uh, about uh, anti-aging in general and all the different therapies. Real Young with HGH is specifically about human growth hormone and other hormone replacement therapies uh, for anti-aging purposes. In bookstores across America, or you can call
0: area code
8: 773-528-4333. What hours? Uh, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine is open from uh, 10 a.m., uh, to 4 p.m. Chicago time.
0: Doctor, it has been a great pleasure. We will most assuredly do it again, my friend. We're out of time.
8: Thank you so much, Art, and uh, thank uh, thank you to all your listeners. It was a it was a tremendous uh, amount of fun on my part.
0: Good night, Doctor.